You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. What's going on, everybody? Good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside my co-host, Kyle Russo. What's up, Kyle? Quick reminder, folks, remember to follow us here on Review and Preview Sports. Hit the thumbs up button on our Facebook page if you haven't already. Follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview. Follow us on Twitter as well. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. Kyle, how are you doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing well, Tom. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent. We have a lot of draft stuff to catch up on. I know um, we did a live stream on Friday that was very successful. We had about 10 different guests on that, so I really want to thank everybody uh, from the bottom of my heart that joined us. That was a long three and a half hours. Um, want to thank you as well for staying on that long. It was a lot of fun. We got to cover rounds two and three, and then, of course, our Instagram uh, video challenge, video reaction challenge that we ran on Thursday night, very successful as well. So excellent, outstanding job throughout the whole weekend. So really good stuff, folks. And a quick teaser as to what we have in store for tonight. Our special guest will be Detroit Lions superfan and host of Off the Rails podcast, Tone Gordon. Gordon, he will be joining us at 7.15 p.m. A little background info on him. He is the producer of the Man to Man podcast, which is hosted by former NFL players Antoine Buffet and Darius Butler. He's a producer of the Be a Pro podcast and hosts his own show called Off the Rails with Tone and Gems on the Iron Ostrich Network. That is Tone Gordon. Really uh, some good stuff right there. We'll talk about his Detroit Lions, what they did taking Penny Suell and all the other picks of that. They made, but until then, Kyle, let's talk about some of the picks that went down in the first round. And folks, if you have a comment as we go along, like Deanna Karen's, the draft was so much fun. It sure was. Um, it was definitely a fun weekend, Kyle. A lot of unexpected turns that took. Um, I don't know what your general overall analysis was on the draft as a whole, but I certainly enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it too. It was definitely more interesting. You know, there's a lot of arguments because we talked about it too, Tom, on day two just the amount of trades that went on. I think that's what made it more intriguing as a draft because we saw some movement on day one, but just the amount of movement that we saw on day two, it makes you really think about it. Not a matter of, you know, are these players good enough to be in the NHL or does this player fit this system? But maybe in terms of how much information each one of these teams has on these players, just based on not having a combine, some players opting out of this year, so it's definitely going to be an interesting terms of events when 2021-2022 season is done and said because you always see those guys pull through, guys that went in the later rounds that you say to yourself, maybe they, those guys could have gone sooner and some of the guys that were drafted higher could have uh, gone back further. I know one guy that comes to mind 
uh, Paul's guy, Legarius Sneed, right, was a fourth-round pick the year prior and, and fourth or fifth-round pick the year prior, and, and that guy was one of the best defensive rookies coming out of last year's draft when all said was done. I have a real soft spot for those day three guys, by the way. I really do. Um, you know, those guys, they have a big chip on their shoulder. Um, I know we had a lot of surprises. Um, the first topic of discussion I want to talk about with you is Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase reuniting with Joe Burrow at number five overall. Do you think he was a better option than Penny Sue? I mean, listen, when you have that quarterback connection, you, you know, that chemistry coming out of college, it's very hard to go against what your quarterback wants because even though Joe Burrow only played eight games, we saw what he could do. He has the ability to put the team on his back. With the Cincinnati Bengals team, that was not good last year. It was very injury-plagued, did not have a good defense, did not have a good offense. You saw his ability to absolve all of that and really come out with some victories. That probably shouldn't have happened if another quarterback was behind center. And giving him a weapon that he has some familiarity with is a good thing. But at the same time, he only played eight games because he didn't have a line in front of him. And somebody that I brought up who played for the Bengals previously, uh, Andrew Whitworth, Andy Dalton had as much success as he did with the Bengals because he had a line in front of him, right? Tom had guys like Whitworth, had guys like Zeitler, had other guys protecting him all those years, and that's why they were able to have these playoff, not runs, but get to the playoffs and have solid seasons within the AFC North. Again, Sewell already being uh, deemed as a Hall of Fame tackle, pretty difficult to pass up on, but in terms of giving your quarterback what he wants and giving him the offensive weapon that you know he has not just chemistry with, but phenomenal chemistry with, is also hard to pass up on as well. So I see both sides, and I can't disagree with them taking Chase. No, not at all. I kind of saw it coming, the connection with Joe Burrow. It was kind of hard to pass up. Plus, they took an offensive lineman later on in the draft anyway. So I don't think that's the biggest deal for Cincinnati. I think it's going to definitely boost their offense. We got a lot of good raving reviews on our live stream on the Brew Party, um, the big blue Brew Party who talks sports on Thursday night about that Jamar Chase pick. A lot of people really – did enjoy that. So, um, yeah, interesting name. The Big Blue Brew Party who talks sports. Shout out Andy Hopper for coming up with that uh, name. So definitely a lot of fun. Now, the next pick, Miami Dolphins take Jalen Waddle. Now, this was a surprise for some. A lot of people, including you and I, thought that, you know, Jalen Waddle might drop to number 11. He's a former teammate of Tua Tagovailoa. Do you think this was the right pick for the Miami Dolphins, or should they have – gone with a different player at number six overall. Personally, the more I looked into it, I really like this pick for the Miami Dolphins. I like it a lot too, but uh, again, it also came into question why they were a team that felt comfortable enough to pass up on a guy in Sewell, considering that a lot of people, when they were at three originally prior to trading out, people thought that they should go with Sewell just because the offensive line in front of you know Tua, or whether it was Ryan Fitzpatrick, was not good at all last season. And that would be an excellent starting point because they don't have a lot of great offensive linemen on that line. In fact, I think PFF came out with a uh, a grading for each one of these guys on their offensive line from last year, and none of them even had a grade above a 65. And I think that guy was, to be honest with you, I think that was Eric Flowers, and they traded him back to Washington. Yeah. So they didn't have a good offensive line at all going into this draft. And to pass up on a guy like him, I don't really see that they had an excuse to do so. Rather... Uh, a team like Cincinnati, not that their excuse was more valid, but they had a better one considering that 
you already knew that your guy had a quarterback receiver connection with this guy, had a lot of success with him versus you're going into the season, this off season with zero offensive line production, any good offensive line. And you have the opportunity to draft a, a hall of famer or what's already being deemed the hall of famer in Penny Sewell, one of the best prospects offensive lineman wise to come into the draft in a very long time. And there was really no excuse for them to pass up on them. I like the Jalen Waddle pick. I think the tandem of him and Devontae Parker is going to be sick with the combination of Mike Gusecki in there at tight end. You saw him kind of evolve as a, a notable tight end in this league the second half of last season. But that was also coming. It came into question a little bit, not just because of how good Jalen Waddle is, but you really saw that Devonta Smith, uh, I guess I'll say slander, take place, Tom, because that was a guy that people thought could have been taken at that number six <laughs> yep. pick. And you really saw how, you know, that I guess the size factor really did play into that decision, the worrisomeness about that. And that would be why I guess they went with Jalen Waddle. Not to take anything away from Jalen Waddle. He's a great prospect. It may have been rated higher if he didn't get hurt. But having the Heisman fall right to your lap, I mean, that's a, I guess you'd say more of a questionable call. Yeah, you know, it's definitely a questionable call. A lot of people think Devontae Smith will be the better NFL player, but we will see. Where the draft really started to get interesting was um, at number three, San Francisco taking Trey Lance over Mac Jones. The Mac Jones thing turned out to be a smokescreen after all. Now, if I'm not mistaken, did you have Mac Jones or did you have Trey Lance? I'm trying to remember who you had. Uh, I had Trey Lance because remember, in when we did our quarterback carousel thing, I had Mac Jones being drafted to the Patriots at 15. The Patriots, yep. Yeah. So um, for me – Listen, I, I never believed that Mac Jones was going to be the guy just because if you look at Kyle Shanahan's history of quarterbacks, he's only had immobile guys at his disposal with the offensive genius that he is. And he's had a lot of success with those types of quarterbacks, which is probably the argument for them taking Mac Jones. You look at his history back in the day with the Texans, made uh, Matt Schaub a, a pro bowler with the Texans, uh, Kirk Cousins in the earlier years as a Washington Redskin, now Washington football team. Matt Ryan turning him into an MVP, going to the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo going to the Super Bowl. Now you have the ability to draft a guy that isn't limited in what he could do on the field, and you're going to go with the same exact guy you've been working with for 10-plus years, maybe even more limited of a pocket passer. It was just very difficult for me to believe. I never believed it. But my opinion, I thought they really were going to go with Fields. Uh, That was my opinion. Not because I didn't think that Trey Lance may have been the better quarterback. I just thought that he may have been the more ready quarterback because on draft night when that came up, you know, there was word that um, that New England was interested in retrading for Jimmy Garoppolo. And with that being said, I would have thought that they would have drafted the more ready guy, and I thought that was Fields versus Lance, who people say may have to sit behind, you know, Garoppolo for a year or so to get adjusted into the NFL system. But not surprised that they didn't go with Mac Jones. I always thought that was a smoke sp- um, spoke. Um, my goodness, smoke, smoke screen. screen. Never really fed into that just because I, I couldn't imagine that 10-plus years of working the NFL being deemed as one of the great offensive minds and only having immobile quarterbacks throughout your career uh, as an offensive scheme guy to draft another one when you had so many different quarterbacks at your disposal. Now, I definitely agree. I had a feeling it was going to be Trey Lance, but you know something just said in my head, I mean, it could be Mac Jones just because of what they did at – uh, the pro day, again, there was very little to evaluate over this year. And Trey Lance having sat out last year, I thought that could have deterred them from taking him. But good for San Francisco. They got their guy. The one pick at number nine, that kind of stirred some people 
in a couple different directions, which is a pick, quite frankly, that I was not surprised by. Although I did have him going to Dallas, was Patrick Sertan to the Denver Broncos. If folks, if you watched our Instagram draft video reaction challenge, Ross Allen from Fourth and Long uh, Radio filmed himself reacting to the pick. He said, I really like this pick, and thank God it's not Mac Jones. Uh, the Denver Broncos really got a score here with Patrick Sertan because uh, Fuller and Callahan are both on contract years, I believe. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Patrick Sertan could do in Denver, not to mention Micah Parsons, obviously the best defensive player talent-wise in the draft, but there were some you know, off-the-field concerns with him. So I think Patrick Sertan, who wasn't even the first defensive player, wasn't even the first corner taken off the board, fits Denver quite beautifully, if you ask me. Yeah, to me it was kind of a questionable pick, not because they didn't, not because they didn't need quarter, uh, cornerbacks for the future, obviously. Because this year, I don't really think there's a case to be made that they necessarily need one more so later on. But just in terms of them also passing on a guy in Justin Fields, because they're a team that essentially had zero reason to pass up on one of the top quarterback prospects in the draft. Um, you know, reports came out that the Broncos were interested in trading for Sam Darnold prior to him. Uh, getting traded to Carolina. They were in on Matthew Stafford. In fact, it was reported that they offered their ninth overall pick and I believe a couple players in order to get Matthew Stafford before he went to the Rams. And you even saw that in the coming days prior to the draft that they traded for a guy in Teddy Bridgewater showing they're not confident in their quarterback right now for them to give up capital, although it was only a six-round pick, to get a different quarterback in their system. And so for me, you know, knowing that Teddy Bridgewater is not going to be the guy, Denver showing that they don't think that Drew Locke is going to be the guy. I don't know what their reasoning would be to pass up on a guy like Justin Fields when arguably, and even Mac Jones, because they're a team that, again, to me, they had zero excuse to pass up on a quarterback with all the quarterback question in which they've shown to the public. Well, I think of very familiar faces working there as their offensive coordinator, and that man is Pat Shermer, who I happen to like as an offensive coordinator, Steve saying, what's up, what's up, Steve? They must see something they like in Drew Locke. I kind of agree. Drew Locke's in a similar situation as Daniel Jones, um, where he's had a lot of offensive coordinators in and out since college. And I think he has the potential to flourish in that Denver system if it's built up the right way. Now, of course, entering year three, this is the make it or break it year for him. There's no excuses after this. So if he doesn't perform this year, Teddy Bridgewater is readily available to step in and be that go-to guy. So I definitely see where he's coming from there. And without further ado, we're going to bring on our guest for the evening. He is a Detroit Lions super fan, the producer of the Man-to-Man podcast hosted by former NFL players Antoine Buffet and Darius Walker, also the producer of the Be a Pro podcast and co-host of his own show, Off the Rails Um with Tone and Gems on the Iron Ostrich Network. Tone, Gordon, Tone, long time no see. It's been a few days. How's it going, my friend? How's it going? Can you guys hear me fine? Yep. Awesome. Yes. Sweet. Uh, no, everything's going good. Uh, figured I'd bust out the old Calvin Johnson jersey for the night just for the heck of it. Uh-uh. Um, don't get to wear uh, don't get to wear jerseys too often anymore. Most of mine are just classic people who retired way too young because the Lions are terrible. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like the jersey though. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. It's actually, uh, I think it's the season before we went zero and sixteen. So I was like, had to 
had to go with that. Seven. No. Yeah, I think it was rookie year too. <laughs> I'm not yeah. mistaken. But um, how how are you, uh, Tone? I know it's been a few days. Uh, first off, I want you to plug all of your uh, podcasts in that you run, that you produce. I know you're talking to our good buddy Andy Hopper later tonight. So yeah, tell the folks where they can find you. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I guess I'll, I do a variety of things, so, uh, it's a little tough to, to even know where, where to start, but, uh, I produce the Man to Man podcast, uh, which is at the Man to Man podcast, uh, on Twitter and IG. It's hosted by Darius Butler and Antoine Bethay. Um, they both obviously played, I think a combined 23 years in the NFL. Um, and then I do a bunch of other, like, uh, freelance, um, stuff like that and produce more stuff. We got more stuff coming that I don't even know all the details of, but, then uh, the Iron Ostrich Network, which is at Iron Ostrich HQ, uh, is the podcast network that I created with uh, my buddies over at the Anomalies with our podcast as well. And then we've brought in uh, at Spiked's College Football Show um, and uh, Bacon Focus, which is a, a comedian uh, podcast. So we're just growing on that. And then uh, obviously, like I said, um, with the Anomalies, we uh, we my podcast at Off the Rails, which is Off the Rails underscore Pod everywhere. Um, that's my podcast that I do with my buddy Gems, um, where we actually started out as two Lions fans who are both left-handed talking about Lions stuff, and then we just realized we talked about a bunch of other stuff too. So we merged that into like a more uh, overall podcast, so we can talk a little bit about everything else too. Nice, so, I like it. The, so the yes, yeah, so I got a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, Kyle and I um, brought you on because we want to talk about your draft, the Detroit Lions, in my yeah. opinion, one of, one of the winners of the draft, which we'll Definitely. get to in just a few moments. And um, I know we had a nice discussion on Thursday about this, but first off, I want to get your instant thoughts on uh, Panay Suel. And obviously he dropped to number seven overall. You mentioned that um, you really like this guy a lot. Um, I feel like I forget where your head was at before the pick went live. <laughs> Who exactly did you want at number seven? And and then uh, do you think Suell was the right pick? So so it's tough because I'm a so I'm a I'm a crazy like diehard fan. So like I had it as my pinned tweet for a long time, but uh, but I had Aaron Rodgers getting traded or something, whatever, right? 2022, he's going to the 49ers. So when that happened, like pre-draft, I was like, yes, please let that happen. Mostly because. In another tweet that I had, like probably from about mid-season, when I kind of felt like we could move on from Stafford, or maybe even keep him for one more year and then move on from him, um, I really liked Trey Lance. Now at the time he was like way back in the end part of the first first round, so I was hoping for Trey Lance. I I thought I think he's going to be the best quarterback out of this draft. I'll call that now. So I know everyone's Trevor Lawrence is kind of like a camp miss prospect but i think trey lance will end up being the best quarterback drafted this year so i was hoping for him early on as it got closer i kind of realized he's not he wasn't going to be there um so i was like if justin fields is there maybe we get a quarterback i just don't love jared goff i mean but at the same time the one thing we constantly lacked when we had stafford was a consistent line to keep him upright so i I did there. I had like two like mixed emotions. I was like, go for the flash or, you know, start from the, the trenches and build out. And uh, the good thing about it is the reaction from guys that played in the NFL, Darius Butler uh, on the podcast on Monday said if he had to put all of his money on one player from this draft going to the <laughs> Hall of Fame, he would put it on Penny Swool. So I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> it's not a sexy pick, but it's probably the right pick. 
Now, now Tone, my next question uh, for you, just in regards to the pick of uh, Sula, at number five, the Bengals had the same similar type of question where not only the argument was the chemistry uh, with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, obviously, but the fact that they already had two tackles in Jonah Williams and they had Riley Reef, And obviously, you guys have Taylor Deckles, one of the highest paid left tackles in the NFL, and you drafted Penny Sula with this pick. And me personally, I like you said before, I don't think you could ever really have enough good offensive line talent, especially 10 plus years of not protecting Matt Stafford. You got to learn from that mistake. Yeah. But at the same time, not having any receivers either and having a guy in Devonta Smith there essentially going into this draft, I don't even know who your receivers were at that point in time. I don't, what, think, what, I don't think we know who our receivers are. At this what, point. <laughs> what, what would your reasoning be behind something like that? Just too good to pass up on or just, you know, the necessary, you know, need to protect Jared Goff? I think the thing that we all forget about sort of when we're talking about like the wide receiver portion, because I was uh, initially, I mean, if, if we weren't taking like a quarterback, either a Lancer or Fields or Sewell, um, Smith would have been the next guy in line for me on my draft board. But um, I try to, I try to think about like where we're, where our heads heads at as a, as a franchise and our coach played tight end for us. We have a really good tight end in TJ Hawkinson. Made the Pro Bowl this year. Um, just, I think he could be in line for a George Kittle, Travis Kelsey type upgrade this next season, especially with Jared Goff at quarterback. He, I mean, he's going to check it down for sure, especially given in time with you know having a having a good line. So, I don't love the fact that we don't have a like elite wide wide out because. Kenny right. Galladay mm-hmm. is I I felt it felt very honestly Calvin Johnson retiring sucked like yeah. real bad because I mean but what are you going to do a guy wants to retire he was banged up you know whatever I don't even feel like I've read anywhere that the Lions even tried to resign Kenny Galladay right which is unfortunate because he he went to the now Kyle and I are both Giants fans I'll uh Give the little heads up there, but um, I do think Galladay is um, an outstanding player. Obviously, dealt with injuries last year. Yeah. Um, but I think the right pick here was Sewell because, as I mentioned on Thursday night, he was the first true freshman to ever start a season opener at Oregon. Now, I know as a Lions fan, you have your concerns about Oregon players. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, you know, flashbacks to 2002. We, we won't get into that. But I'll be, I'll be honest. I was searching Cameo the other day. That's totally off track, but – uh, Joey Harrington is on Cameo. If you want a $25 Cameo from Joey Harrington, you can get it, just so you guys know. Anyone? <laughs> and for the folks who don't know who Joey Harrington is, I actually have a clip for you, in case you don't know. With the uh, third choice in the 2002 draft, the Detroit Lions suggest, select Joey Harrington, quarterback Oregon. But at that time, he was a huge need for Detroit. That was the correct pick. He was. Um, and he wasn't even the worst quarterback in that draft. No, he wasn't, which David is crazy. Carr, who was drafted ahead of him. <laughs> but, but, you know. yeah. Steve, one of the biggest busts in, drafts, in draft history. Yeah, but I just wanted to show that clip because Joey Harrington, in my opinion, was a really good backup quarterback. I think that's where yeah. um, I kind of value him. But, um, yeah. I kind of want to get your thoughts on Dan Campbell, though, because as Giants fans, we have a history with Dan Campbell. You mentioned he was a tight end for you. He was also a tight end for us. 
Yeah. And um, not to mention he was an assistant for Sean Payton. This is my, again, this may be a little Giants fan bias. Um, <laughs> this was my favorite coaching hire of the offseason, actually. Yeah. Um, he may not be the best guy behind a mic talking-wise, but I think <laughs> he's very effective. Do you think the Lions are going to run the football more? You mentioned not having an elite receiver uh, going offensive line. I mean, you pretty much established both ends of the trenches on days one and two. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, as a Lions fan, it's hard to say, like, yeah, we're going to run the ball because I haven't seen it since Barry Sanders retired. I mean, yeah. but – I, it does seem like we are shifting in that direction. Um, Dan Campbell obviously is a, clearly a guy who wants to play some hard-nosed football. Like, that's his brand. I mean, he seems like he's like a guy who yeah. wants to get in there. He wants the hits, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that is – we're definitely going to shift to a more – I mean, it's hard not to shift to a more run team when you have Jared Goff at quarterback, but also when you don't have Matt Stafford just – saving you all the time like so <laughs> i mean i i do i do think we will run the ball more um it, the question is is do we have the running back personnel to run the ball more yeah i right yeah <laughs> i personally i think because you saw throughout the latter part of the season is one of the bright spots of this Lions teams was deandre swift who i, yeah. I think can be that next running back carry on johnson that that experiment didn't necessarily pan out i thought it was going to be that guy but deandre swift really elevated into that level and as you said before you know when Jared Goff was successful in the NFL or at a higher stance and when they went to the Super Bowl is when he handed off the ball 50 times to Todd Gurley every single game and, and that's what really carried the offense so like you said before not that the receiver is going to be so much of a, a factor personally I don't think so but I would agree that they'd run the ball more and that's why I also think that tool pick is is more I guess you'd say supported in them taking him instead of giving a receiver to Jared Goff knowing that they'd like to run the ball more. Definitely, and I and I think the the good part of that is is uh, Swift did come on towards the end of last season. He definitely made up for some early miscues, like dropping a touchdown that would have won us a game in week one. But you know, not better. No, uh, no, he. We do, but like I think the the Lions fan in me, I just see all any potential we have running back wise seems to always get hurt. So it's like. You're like that's why we haven't run the ball so much in past years. Is the guy who was supposed to be the guy, whether it be an Amir Abdullah or a Javid Best or even a Carry On Johnson, just always ended up hurt. So hopefully we can give him enough, you know, holes to run through, mix it up enough to where he's not taking too much of a beating. Um, also, then very much if we can get the run game going, then that plays into the play action, which plays into you know Jared Goff's strength, and then we can use our tight end and all that kind of stuff, which definitely uh, definitely makes for a more consistent uh, win style. Whereas instead of like having to be down two touchdowns and come back, is fun to watch, also chaotic, but like at the same time, like you know I'll take a win all day over like a spectacular finish that could or could could not you know result in a W. Right. No, that's an excellent point. And moving on to your day two picks, I want to talk yeah. about your day two picks. You went all defense with all three day two picks. The Lions were 5-11 and 11 last year, had yeah. the dead last ranked defense <laughs> in the National Football League in points per game allowed. Uh, we have a comment from John Suggs actually comparing those two defensive tackles. Uh, Levi on Wuzurike and Ali McNeil, who Ali McNeil I loved for the Giants, by the way, but we didn't yeah. get him. 
Um, you were a big advocate for Elijah Moore in the second round, I believe. Yeah. I'm not mistaken, wide receiver out of Ole Miss, but they didn't go that way. They got yeah. two defensive tackles. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, luckily, the, I mean, unlucky for us, but the Jets luckily saw that they needed some talent to help out Zach Wilson, and they 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 took Elijah Moore pretty quick because he should have been a first rounder. But um, yeah, I mean, the the two tackles definitely is going to be helpful. Again, another position where um, you have to get it right. Uh, we've seen a lot of good line work over the years in spotty places, but we also have Trey Flowers on the outside. So if we can get somebody to take up some blockers in the middle, maybe we can actually get our money's worth out of Trey Flowers, which would be nice. Um, I I personally, I, looking at it, liked McNeil a little bit better um, in out of those two. But the, you know, second, third round pick, you're gonna they're gonna battle it out, maybe even have a rotation for who plays those those snaps in the middle. Uh, you know, when we had like, um, you know, like the Sues and the Fairleys in there and, and even Kyle Vandenbosch and all those guys, like we could get after the quarterback. It, that's when we had our best defenses in recent times. So starting up front and getting those guys, you know, if we can get some pressure, especially in our division where, you know, you're going to have to stop, stop some running backs. Delvin Cook's going to run. You know that. You got – if if Aaron Rodgers stays with the Packers, you got to stop him being able to run as well as Aaron Jones in the back, and then you know obviously like so it, it overall you're gonna have to stop the run and the pass pretty equally in our division. So you got to have two guys. Maybe I, I haven't dug in deep enough to real to see if you know you have differences in in uh, which one does a little bit more pass, which one does a little more run stopping. Um, but right. on the topical like level, I like McNeil a little bit more of that pick. Now, Tony, you just talked about, you know, stopping these elite quarterbacks like an Aaron Rodgers and, and a Kirk Cousins and maybe even a Justin Fields if he does get the opportunity, depending on if there's a cap on the amount of games that Andy Dalton starts, if he even starts at all come season. Yeah. But talk about the addition of Fede Melifonwu, because I love that pick out of Syracuse. I, I know his brother had a lot of hype. Obi a couple years prior didn't necessarily pan out that well with the Cowboys and the Raiders, I think it was. But I love this pick out of Syracuse. Talk about, you know, a second year now of Jeff Okuda. You guys picked number three overall last year, and now uh, a fade Yeah. Um, Okuda, I think, had some had a few bright spots last year. He he seemed to come in, and, I mean, I started if – I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think he missed week one because he was injured. Um, and then he yeah. came in, and then he just kind of had – got obliterated by – I think it was Devontae Adams early on in the season. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so, I mean, but part of that's just Aaron Rodgers being able to – it's hard when you don't have any pressure up front. Um, so I I do like all any addition we have in the backfield. Um, the guy coming in, I won't even pr- try to pronounce his last name because I'm going to – I'll butcher it. But our cornerback that we drafted, <laughs> um, we usually do an okay job getting guys that should be somebody's backup. So I'm hoping that this guy – is actually able to start at some point, not this season, but you know, get somebody around like Okuda, not necessarily have to have a guy who is like going to go out there and shut down, but like also just be able to contain back there, which I, I think the problem last year is we had so many cornerbacks that were down. I mean, he, um, who was it? I almost said True Font was out. Yeah, True, True Font was out. Uh, we had like three or four guys in the back that were just injured. Um, and it was just, you know, what, what do you do when you, that's a hard position to just kind of plug a guy into your system, yep. get him going, especially when 
the guys at the top part of that, like the Nokuda, are fresh. I mean, it's a rookie year. You got the other ones and twos that they're out. So you're like you're you're digging. I think at one point I was looking, and we were talking on our podcast. I mean, you're you were looking at signing dudes off the off the waiver wire to potentially start that week, and it was like it's pretty slim pickings in there. So yeah. definitely get, needed to get some depth in there. Um, I also like the linebacker we took in in the fourth round as well, and hopefully we have like a little bit of. We're gonna we're gonna need to have our linebackers be able to rush and cover because like if we don't do that, I mean that's the that's the way I see the league the league moving. I mean you got guys like Mahomes, Justin Fields, even yeah. somebody we've looked at for a long time, Aaron Rodgers, where if you don't get pressure on him immediately, you almost just kind of have to contain him in the pocket because if not, he can get out and then he's gonna make an easy pass and that's gonna kill you. And that's what we've kind of failed to do inside that interior there for for a while. Some of those guys have yeah. had some flashes. I mean, but like we traded Kyle Vandenbosch for, or Kyle Kyle Van Noy for like a third round pick, like, and he's turned out to be a pretty good pro, you know. So Ziyansa went on. He's you know he played a couple games out out there in Seattle. Um, you know we had Willie Young on the line. We had um, Cliff Averill who went on to win Super Bowls. So we've had all these pieces in spots, but nef- nothing like really glued together except for like one year i don't think this is gonna fix that problem this draft but i think it definitely is a step in the right direction it does tell me that the gm and the coach the gm who who arguably has been one of the better uh, scouters of college talent he came over from the rams as their college scout obviously scouted guys like aaron donald and all of them back there so he knows what he's doing um that's the only hope I have with golf as well, just some familiarity. So, but I think this is a step in the right direction for sure. It is, and Dan Campbell promised to get better, uh, to get bigger in the draft, and that's exactly what he did. I'm not just talking about Aleem McNeil and Levi from Washington and, and, and Penny Sewell, but um, Fetty Melifonru, the corner out of Syracuse, um, you know, of course there's a shot. He could start opposite Okuda. I'm not yeah. saying he will, but 6'2", 205. I think back to Christmas weekend. It might have even been the day after Christmas. They're playing the Bucks. It's on a Saturday. And Tom Brady torched them throughout the whole game so much that he didn't have to play the second half. Yeah. Games are still won in the trenches. Even though it's a passing league, you have to have a good offensive line mm-hmm. to protect your quarterback, whether he's moving or you're handing the ball off, or defensively where, you know, these guys that are playing the three-tech, whoever it may be, get pressure on the quarterback. And I think you have two good run stuffers to stop the run. You have the pass rushers and Trey Flowers, both the Oquara brothers, who I really happen to like. And now you add Melifonwu to that. He did have six penalties last year, but I really like that a lot. You mentioned Derek Barnes. Uh, Tavai, that linebacker you drafted in the second round a couple of years ago, I think yeah. he's one of the worst in, in, the, in the NFL. Yeah. Can't tackle. <laughs> we have some. I don't think he's good. Of, we got a couple of those guys. But, and you yeah, traded they, up for Barnes, right? You traded up for him, I think. I believe so, yeah. I believe we – I was I was, work, I was working on that, on the, but I believe we moved back into the – Oh, I have it. Fourth, I believe, to get him. So you traded up with the Browns. Yeah. Gave up your fifth rounder and a 2022 fourth rounder to get him. That's a pretty um, steep investment. There's one other guy we haven't talked about yet, though, Kyle and Tone. It's 
Amon Ross St. Brown. According to John Suggs, he will be huge this year. Expect him to put up big numbers in all caps in receiving yards, not to mention he led the Pac-12 with seven touchdown receptions in just six games. Yeah. Uh, a guy who had over 1,000 yards as a, as a sophomore. He lost Marvin Jones, who had nine touchdowns last year. Talk to me. There's a good chance Amon Ross St. Brown, the fourth-round flyer, day three guy, could be your number one receiver. Yeah, at some yeah. point next year. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I actually actually really like that pick. Uh, the one thing I was I first I was looking at it today, and I don't know why it's not sticking in my head, but uh, I was looking at his height. I think six one, six one. Yeah, because because uh, typically the guys that have done really well for us have been tall or small. So six one's about your normal size. I mean, he's smaller than our cornerback we took, but um, he had a, he had a good college career, which is obviously at a big program which so he, he played against he didn't play against nobodies and he played against guys that were going to get drafted in this in this draft um i think it's very very likely that he gets a lot of a lot of reps this year um and then depending obviously on as players get cut cap casualties and all that kind of stuff with the crazy shrinking cap that could potentially happen um as their tr- teams are trying to get these players signed from the draft um yeah, I mean, I, I'm not excited about our wide receiving core, but uh, he does look like a like he could be a spark in that in that that spot. Especially, he kind of fits. The, he feels like he fits the bill for what Jared Goff likes. So like, right. he's yeah. kind of in that mold. He's not like I mean, Jared Goff seemed to have his. I mean, last year in in the past couple of years, I mean, uh, I believe it now. It's, Brain, my my name recall is terrible, but uh, Robert Woods is it Robert Woods? Yeah, Robert was, Woods. Yeah, Cooper Cup. Yeah. yeah, Robert Robert Woods kind of resurged his career, you know, with Jared Goff, and so kind of fits a fits a mold in that. Uh, if I'm not, am I am I mistaken? Didn't Robert Woods go to USC? Or am I wrong on that? Uh, I'm not sure. I could I can look wrong. it up. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we. I think he does fit. He feel he feels like a guy that Jared Goff will like. So, um, looking at like the yeah, past, like the USC Robert Woods did. Yeah. So, so looking at the guys that he he likes to throw to, he kind of feels like he should be a Jared Goff receiver. So, now whether or not Jared Goff's our quarterback after this year, I guess time time to tell. But at least for this year, I think they might have a they can they might be able to have a connection. Yeah, I could definitely see him being a benefactor just based on the fact that. Took the time while you were answering the question, just looking at your receiving core, and I don't, I don't it's even bad. know where to begin. Uh, I, is Danny Amendola still even on the roster? Muhammad no. Sanu, these guys, no, they even there? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so that was Sanu is a late, late season pickup. I think we just signed him for the rest of the year. So yeah, I mean, that was the only notable guys that I saw on the roster. So definitely could be a benefactor based on the fact that that's really the only receiver you guys have at the yeah. moment right now. But that leads me into my next question: Is that you know? based on what they added on defense, because they're starting to build a nice defensive core. The offensive line should be good, and DeAndre Swift, I think, could be really good as well. Granted, you get maybe, you know, average, decent quarterback play from Jared Goff. Where do you place this team in the division come this year? That's that's where it gets tough, because the division is really, like, I know everyone's excited about the Bears pickup. They have a good defense. Justin Fields should make them better, because he – just by nature, he's better than Mitch Trubisky. I mean, you would you would think they would be better. Still a rookie quarterback. Um, 
I think the Bears could be the wild card. They always seem to have that one weird season where they just like go twelve and four, and then like you're like, okay, cool. Why are you guys good all of a sudden? Then the next year you're six and twelve, but or four four and twelve. Um, so I think that for me, if I had to like just go off like pure gut, I'm gonna say the Lions feel like a second place team in the division. Not a good. I don't. I don't think this the, the division is gonna be particularly good. Um, I think it's going to be, uh, uh, NFC like East feel next year. Like a lot of like, especially if it, if the Packers, that's the other thing. So that if the, if Aaron Rodgers is gone, I think the Packers go from top to bottom, like, or top to third. Like, I mean, so if Aaron Rodgers is around, I think Aaron Rodgers clearly leads that team to at least like probably like a 13 and four record or something like that. And that they they win the division. I feel like every other team is going to be hovering. There might there's going to be one team that wins ten games, and then everybody else is going to kind of like be like nine game, eight game. I feel like the division is going to be not terrible, but no one's going to be excelling except for the Packers if they have Aaron Rodgers. Right. So we could be yeah. anywhere between eight wins and ten wins. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I was saying um, with the 17 game schedule, I was saying a potential uptick to seven. That's where I stand with you guys yeah. at the moment. But it all depends on how the line plays, mm-hmm. um, how the receiving core plays. Because again, there's not I, your biggest targets probably Hawkinson at the moment. Yeah. So that's a big thing too, which leads me to my next point. You lost Kenny Galladay in free agency. Um, what was your favorite part about Kenny Galladay's game, and what do you think he could bring to the New York Giants? So Kenny Galladay is exciting. That's the, that's the thing I love about Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay, we call him, I don't know if you guys are up on like, I, at least I call them on my circle of Lions friends. We call him Minitron because yeah, he's not that. quite as, not quite as big as, uh, um, you know, Calvin, but he played in that manner. Like you felt like if Stafford was back and he threw in a double coverage, Kenny Galladay is 80% of the time coming down with that ball. And that's the, that's a that's a safety blanket, especially for someone like Daniel Jones, who I think, and this this is a, another callback to a Monday episode of the Man to Man Pod. Antoine Bethay, who played with Daniel Jones, said, "This is Daniel Jones' season. He's calling it. Daniel, this is going to be Daniel Jones' massive uptick season. Feels oh boy. feels good about the feels good about the wide receiver pick in the first round. Can play all over the place." Uh, Tony, right? Is that uh, Tony? Okay. Yep, yep. Darius. Yep. So uh, they like they like that pick. I like that pick as well. Um, and then you obviously picked up Galladay, which is nice. Saquon should be healthy, hopefully. Um, I actually like really like the defense as well. You know, the, the Jabril Peppers and and uh, James Bradbury, really good for you guys. Uh, Galladay should fit in nicely. Of course, I mean you guys also took uh, Golden Tate from us a couple years ago. So, you know, it's the same, same feel that they're going to come with professionalism and be able to like play from day one. I think Galladay gives you an explosive option. I mean, he can get past a lot of people. He can, you can, Daniel Jones can throw bad passes and Galladay can make them look good. If Daniel Jones takes a step high up and like, takes that next level per progression. I think he can definitely uh, use Galladay and Galladay can continue to have like put up better numbers than he even he did with Stafford. Cause he'll have the run game to support not getting so covered. 
Yeah, the Giants have weapons now. So and you guys got Ingram too. I, mean, yeah. I always forget about Evan Ingram, but yeah. little tight end. So you got you got all three phases there. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do have options at all levels. I know not everyone loves Evan Ingram, but like, you know, if your running back stays healthy, you almost have to bring the box in. Then if you can pop a tight end loose, you got to cover that as well. So that supports the defense playing tighter, which is plays to Kenny Galladay's strength. I mean, he's gonna. Run and outrun anyone down the field, and he's going to make contested catches. <laughs> yeah, and don't don't forget about Kyle Rudolph too, former NFC North guy. I like him a lot. Kyle Rudolph is like one of those like I wish he he went to I wish he was on the Lions every time I watched him play. I was like, ah. yeah. He only he only catches touchdown passes though. He'll catch like three three passes. That, for this is true. Fifteen yards and two touchdowns, but <laughs> I'll take the points. I'll take the points. Now, Tony, you talked about the the importance within this division about you know Aaron Rodgers, you know if if he's there, if he's not there, what what do you what do you make of the situation? Is it you know repairable? Because after that first round pick, that's when stuff really started to hit the fan, and then it looked like come days two and three, it actually looked like they were trying to address needs that would help him. Yeah, I actually like the quarter uh, the wide receiver they took. Uh, why can't I, I'm blanking on Ari Rodgers? He was yeah. yeah, yeah. His so he he has a good pedigree. I don't know if you guys know his background at all. Do you guys know who his dad is? Um, no, I have no idea. His his dad's T Martin, who won a national title with the Tennessee Volunteers. Oh, okay. So who's also the wide receiver coach for the Baltimore Ravens starting this year? So um, yeah, he's got a he's got a good uh, good background. He's his dad's a pro, was a pro. Played for the Steelers for a couple of years, um, so he's he knows that pedigree. He's played with a good quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, so he should be able to, you know, come in and, and fill, fit a fit a role there if they do keep Rodgers. I think he could definitely be a very big uh, get a lot of lot of play if Aaron Rodgers is there. I think he could be kind of one of those rookies we look back on and like, man, he's got taken in the third round. I'm like that's crazy, but I mean. I'm surprised the Ravens didn't take him to be honest with you, just because of the familiarity. But, um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. It's tough. Like having the Lions watch the Lions screw up Barry Sanders and screw up Calvin Johnson situations, it seemed seemingly making them retire early. Um, it's kind of funky to see like another team, especially the Packers, who, I mean, outside of the Brett Favre situation, I mean Brett Favre retired and then came back and like was like i think i'm done but no i think i want to play like they handled that situation so seamlessly for the most part until the end when it was like hey aaron Rodgers is clearly like this guy where we need to put in so later brett but um yeah i I don't know how you screw that up you a guy who hasn't thrown 10 interceptions he's thrown less than 10 interceptions a season for the last 10 seasons i mean that's a guy you you don't want not on your team. I mean, he's a guy who can also go to any other team and basically you can add like four to five wins to their, their total right immediately, just cause he's going to make, he could take us three and probably have a star wide receiver cast, right? Right. which is part of the reason why the Packers neglected that spot so much, which they still did pretty well. I mean, getting like guys like Devonte Adams, you know, throughout the years into that, that system. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think he's being a bit sensitive, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah. I, I, for me, like that. I I know you have to have a backup, but I think especially last year for Rodgers, you get to the point where you're like, 
we took a wide, we took a quarterback in the first round, like not mm-hmm. like the third round, not like the second round. Like you guys took a spot that, I mean, first round picks are valuable. I mean, even at that late, I mean, I guarantee you if we went back and probably looked at like the 10 guys taken after Jordan love every single one of them, probably well, not every single one of them, but you could find at least five guys in there that you're like, yeah, probably would have helped maybe last season go a little further. Yeah, on top of the fact they traded up in that first round for Jordan, yeah. they didn't even get <laughs> them quick to go get him. Yeah, they got their quarterback. I, I, I don't, I don't remember what they gave up to to move up, but I'm sure that's going to look bad. I know the Lions have either. done that plenty. I mean, we we're notorious. If you go look through, I'm a I'm a nerd for like some of that draft stuff. Like you go look at how the Legion of Boom was built. Like three of the four picks were acquired in a trade with the Detroit Lions. So, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. We could have. Uh, granted, we're now drafting in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. We weren't doing anything anyway because we were picking the guy that we definitely didn't need. But back yeah. then, I thought this was the first year in a while the Lions had a really good draft. I'm just looking at some of their previous drafts, and like a lot of the guys on their draft board aren't even on the roster anymore. I thought the whole NFC North had a great draft. I thought, in my personal opinion, Christian Darasaw was the best value pick of the first round. Minnesota's probably taking them yeah. at 14 if they don't trade down. He's yeah. still there at 23. The tackles were undervalued. You saw the Bears uh, stole Tevin Jenkins in the second round, getting him in addition to Justin Fields. I like what they did. I like what Green Bay did, getting Josh Myers and Amari Rodgers. Now, you can debate the Eric Stokes pick. That's fine. But <laughs> overall, what were a couple of your favorite picks um, taken across the NFC North or even across the whole NFL? Hmm. Uh, I guess I'll stick with I, – I paid more t- – I saw it. Disclaimer: I definitely worked most of round twos through seven uh, while so I was following mostly on my phone, but um, so I might miss a couple guys. But I know I do pay I pay attention a lot to the NFC North. So uh, I really like uh, uh, the Vikings took Kellen Mund. Um, I think that's a good pick. I'm I'm a Michigan State fan, and I don't like Kirk Cousins. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like I he's a uh, eight and now he's. Now, now I guess this is where like he really becomes like you figure out who Kirk Cousins in because before he just felt like an eight and eight quarterback. Now with the extra game, is he a nine to seven guy or is he a seven and nine guy? You know what I mean? Like he just doesn't seem like he's gonna get you, which is crazy when you have a guy like Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. Before this past season, you had Stephon Diggs. You also have a Delvin Cook. I mean, he has all the tools. Like that team should be where the Packers are every year. They should be sitting at top of that division every year. Right, but. So I do like what Kellen Mund brings to the situation. Uh, <laughs> he did. Just, that was the only good part about him. Um, that's why I hate Tom Brady too, by the way. People are like, oh, you hate Tom Brady because he's good. I'm like, no, nah, I hate Tom Brady because he went to Michigan. But um, yeah, so the Kellen Mund pick was good. Uh, I just spoke about the uh, the, pa- the Rodgers pick for the Packers. I think that's a good pick. I think that's going to be, be a, a really good one. Uh, and then I know it's not like – out there but the justin fields pick for the bears you just don't see them pick good it doesn't seem like they ever had a quarterback that was worthwhile so time time's gonna come tell on the justin fields part but like he seems like a surefire kind of like he should be a good quarterback for at least eight to ten years like he shouldn't have the problems that like a mitch Trubisky had or a jay cutler who didn't care seemingly right you know they much like when we drafted Stafford, he feels like he's gonna he could be a guy that could go literally own all of the records in the passing section of the Bears history. 
Yeah, I so. think there's, def there's definitely the argument for that. You know, when you see a season, especially last year, and I brought it up to a lot of people, if Nick Foles and, and Mitch Trubisky can go 8-8 eight and eight on a season, then I think Andy Dalton and Justin Fields might uh, be better some with an upgraded offensive line. You, you would think they'd be better. David Montgomery's second half of last season looked pretty, yeah. pretty good. And Allen Robinson, I would assume that, again, while he was very upset last year, I think he may give it a second shot with the Bears now with Justin Fields behind center potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that I think it definitely uh, helps Allen Robinson. I don't think – I'm trying to think back of who Allen Robinson had thrown him the ball over his career. Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles. And it hasn't been good. Like, no, I mean, Blake yeah. Bortles. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky. I Nick mean, Foles like, and – so Maybe Mike at one point. <laughs> even even Andy Dalton, either yeah. one of those quarterbacks is an upgrade from the quarterbacks that he's had. I mean, I'd be fine with either one. Yeah. Um, I know we're kind of on the subject of quarterbacks, but there's how a comment. You, I was say, how do you feel about the uh, Andy Dalton? Like when they signed him, they they named him QB one on on Twitter. Yeah, and then I, I go draft. I, <laughs> By if, the way, if, also I don't think anyone's pointed out the fact that the last two times the Bears have drafted a quarterback, they had just recently signed a redheaded quarterback. I mean, they just definitely don't like redhead guys. Mike Glennon. Who's the other? Mike Glennon. Oh, no, we have him now. <laughs> so, yeah. by the way, Mike Glennon, I think, is actually a good quarterback, to be honest with you. I, I don't do know if too. he's a starter in the NFL, but he's definitely like a quality no. backup can come in if your guy goes down. Right. I, I think that with the end uh, Dalton case scenario, it was just a you know, matter of fact that who in the world, as much as mock drafts saw a guy in Justin Fields falling for whatever the reason was, who would have thought he would have fallen to as far as he did? Yeah. And I think that was more so the question. But, you know, we, Tom, we spoke to Andy, you know, Tony, you spoke to Andy as well. And his immediate reaction was, why does it take you for you to be on the hottest of seats for you to actually do something with this organization? And mm -hmm. not only nailing it on day one, but nailing it on day two, too, with Tevin Jenkins, which was a flat-out fantastic value pick. Another yeah. potential first round or fall to the second. Right. I mean, some some guys have to be on the hot seat, I think, to make good decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, it's get, true. I think you can get too cute in the draft. I think a lot of teams do it. Like they're like, I mean, I'm not not saying a Jordan Love pick would be that, but like, like the Packers are like, oh, we're in the playoffs. Like you know, Aaron Rodgers is worth this many wins. Like, let's go see if we can get Jordan Love. Why, why not? Like we might have saw something on film, but shock the world, kind of like I don't, I don't even think they needed to trade up to get Jordan Love. No, to be honest with you, I mean, so, no, no one was taking him. So it's kind of like one of those situations where it's like that's a too cute move, and then you see what it kind of probably like leads to on the back end. But like, I mean, some some teams just literally have to be like, hey, I have no option. This is probably the last time I'm drafting. Let's try to go out on a high note, even if it does. Like I'm gonna pick these people, and then. You pull like what the 76ers. I always, I don't know if you guys are big basketball guys. I yeah. constantly forget the 76ers guy's name, but he's, he brought in all those guys. They fired him. And then Sam Hankey. Yeah, Sam Hankey. Yeah. And trust the process. Look at now, all the, a lot of those guys have gone on to become something. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. And that's his legacy. His legacy is now more like, oh, maybe we should have held on to him. And I think that's what the Bears guys finally kind of did. They were like, all right, let's not get too cute. Who's the next person on our board? Oh, Justin Fields is still available here. Let's see if we can move up. Also, great move on moving up because I think, and it feels like maybe the Vikings would have drafted Justin Fields had he sat there. Yeah, they came out with a report saying that, you know, that would have been their guy potentially at 14. And that oh, was so, in a lot of things. So yeah. I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that, it makes sense. And same thing the, um, the Eagles went and did because I think, you know, the Giants wanted Smith. They, yeah. 
they hopped in there. Also, a little crazy that they tra- their trade partner was also in division. It should feel good for you guys, though, because that definitely means that, da- that means Dallas definitely fears you guys more than they fear the Eagles. I mean, yeah, that's, it, that's the thing. How many teams really feel the fear the Eagles right now after what just displayed the last couple months versus the Giants team where you saw, you know, even though they only came away with six wins, the defense is stout. Yeah. The offense, the only question is Daniel Jones at this point. That's that's really the only question, not just with the offense, but at the team, at least what I think. I really like Daniel Jones. I don't know why. <laughs> I do too. It makes no sense. It doesn't look like – like I think a lot of people see, see Daniel Jones in one of two ways. They see the guy – who breaks up in an 80-yard run, or they see him as the guy who falls on his face during that 80-yard run. Absolutely. And I think all in all, the trade worked out in the Giants' favor, um, trading down to number 20. I think the Eagles could have potentially handed the Giants a plethora of draft picks heading into next year. They took Devontae Smith from us, but at the same time, I think uh, we could have potentially gotten the better hand if – because they're in a rebuild mode. Devontae Smith in four years, he doesn't want to go back there. He doesn't want to re-sign. He's on the market. He could go anywhere. But um, switching gears, we have two. More, I have two more questions I want to ask you. Um, yeah. And it kind of tails into one of the comments. If Let's say Aaron Rodgers is traded out of the NFC North, right? Yeah. Let's just say he's gone. He's out of the picture. Who do you ha- – and this question is to both of you guys. Who do you have winning the NFC North – and why? Hmm. I think. I think honestly, I, I think it might be the Bears. I really, I really could see it be the Bears because Tone, you're absolutely 100 percent right. Kirk Cousins is that guy who essentially has, you know, with the exception of that Saints playoff game, has really never taken that step to yeah. be that elitist top ten upper tier quarterback to take you to that next level where you look at the defenses that the Vikings have had and Mike Zimmer and the organization finally just hit the, you know, reset button. They, it seemed like they let go of everybody last year on the defense and they're trying to rebuild that. And Tom, I was talking to you about this when you're looking at his contract, you know, quarterbacks are getting paid tremendous amounts of money and nobody is worth a 40, $50 million. The only guy that's worth that is Tom Brady because that's a guarantee almost almost every single time. Other than that, nobody's worth that. So to sit down and look at yourself in the mirror and say, is Kirk Cousins really worth $35, $36 million? And then they gave him another extension too, which <laughs> caused you to reset your defense the way it was. That was the reason why everybody was let go to fortune to this rebuild because of Kirk Cousins. And then you saw last year they still struggled as well. And then you look at this Bears team. Tone, I completely agree with you. I think Justin Fields can be that guy. I really do think he's that guy. That's why, you know, we talk about the Giants pick as well in this because that's how it'll go down, not just about what the Eagles and Dallas pulled off, but if Daniel Jones isn't the guy, Giants passed up on Justin Fields the opportunity to draft him. That's also the stigma that will go with that draft selection is that they had the opportunity to draft him. I think that, again, a lot of these quarterbacks, you talked about which quarterbacks will be successful. You brought up Trey Lance. I'm 100% agreement. Why? Because I know for a fact he'll be put in the best system on day one. And I think that Justin Fields, whether it's Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy as the coach, I think that you're slowly seeing them starting to develop that offense a little more. You saw it last year. They weren't explosive, but they had some good solid pieces. They're getting Tariq Cohen back, who I think is one of the best Swiss Army Knife players in the league. Allen Robinson, I think, would be happy after this. Jimmy Graham is older. Cole Komet, your guy, Tom. I think they'll be a better team if they improve upon the offensive line a little more. That defense is not, is not the question. That defense will win you games 
hand in, in hand over time. You know, they probably won five of those games last season out of the eight. So if the offense gives you a little support, which I think Justin uh, Justin Fields can do, I think they'd be a favorite essentially. I definitely, I definitely fall in that same line. I think that's a that's definitely. It all depends on how how the season starts for me. Um, I don't think the Vikings are are that team. If even if say take the Packers out of it, uh, I would assume you're looking at Jordan Love as your the quarterback that replaces him there. Um, so they're they're looking at a young quarterback. So the Packers are going to be meddling at best. I don't think they're. I think they're going to have a harder time getting you know Adams and and Jones to do what they do when they have Rodgers. So that they're definitely out of the picture. Um, I think uh, the Vikings, unless Delvin Cook has like a two thousand yard season and turns it up like that, um, I don't see the Vikings being that team either. So. That takes it to the Bears and the Lions. Now, I'm a Lions fan, so I might be a little bit of a homer. The reason I think the Lions could potentially, in that scenario, win, new coach, new quarterback, no one really knows what to expect. We're changing our entire system. So there's nothing on books for us, basically. So we're a wild card in a weird sense. Like, if we can steal some wins early, we could be dangerous if we figure it out. The Bears' defense is going to win them games. If they start with Andy Dalton at quarterback, though, I don't think they win the division because you're always going to have Andy Dalton has one bad game, which he's going to have, and then people are going to start calling for Justin Fields, and that's a hard scenario. So in the situation where Aaron Rodgers leaves, I think it's wide open, to be honest with you. But I think it comes down to a team probably like the Bears winning. With like a couple things changing, you could have the Vikings pop in as like a Nine and seven team winning the division, it could be tight, or even like a Lions team if somehow something crazy happens and golf is actually the truth. And right. I mean, golf has been to a Super Bowl, so that he has. Kyle, uh, who you got? Dan Campbell's scary though. Like you know, you just don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, he's a wild card, that's for yeah. sure. Kyle, who do you have winning the North? Are you in the same boat? You guys both think the Bears would take it if Green if Rogers is out. Yeah, I think that the Bears would take it. I, I if think I, have, if I was going to put money on it, that's what it'd be. The Viking again. The the Bears don't become this top team. They're not thirteen and four, but you know it's neck and neck with the Vikings, and I think they might have the edge when all said is done. So I, I'd go with the Bears. So I'm going to disagree. I'm going to take a little bit different approach. I am going to go with the Vikings because I really like what they did in this draft. They took Chaz Surratt in the third round as well. I thought that was a steal in addition to Wyatt Davis, and I think. The Vikings are a little more set in the trenches than the Bears, which is where games are won. Um, I also don't like the carousel. The Bears could potentially have it running back. They drafted Khalil Herbert for some reason, which I did not like. I thought they could have uh, adjusted that. I don't like the Bears' corners outside of Jalen Johnson at the moment. Um, I'm not so certain what's going to happen with that. I like the Vikings' depth at linebacker a lot. They still have Ryan Connolly. They signed Dalvin Tomlinson, who I happen to love. I think their defense is going to take a step north in 2021. And the question is, will those star players stay healthy? The Adam Thielens, the Dalvin Cooks. Yes, they lost Kyle Rudolph, but is Irv Smith going to take that next step forward? I think it's neck and neck between the Bears and the Vikings. I I am going to go with the Vikings here just because I thought they were close last year, especially in the second half of the season after their sluggish start. I I think Kirk Cousins will be the starter for two more years in Minnesota. And this is kind of their window 
to win with Kirk Cousins. Yeah. So I'm going to go with them for that reason. And as a Giants fan, the whole friend targets in history, somewhat of a closet Vikings guy. So um, <laughs> I don't, I don't hate it. I think if Aaron Rodgers leaves, that division becomes incredibly interesting. In a, like a, you could literally, it could be <laughs> the, the NFC East. Like, yeah, <laughs> it could be. Um, you brought up how the Bears situation is, you know, questionable at the corners. That was the reasoning for the Vikings as well for me is that they just did. Uh, Cam Dance was decent. Jeff Gladney has a lot of off the field stuff going on. With the exception of that, they have no secondary. A losing Anthony Harris to the Eagles. They did uh, bring in uh, Pat Peterson, though. Pat Peterson yeah, and Xavier Patrick Woods. But that's only a one-year band-aid, though, with Patrick Peterson. Yeah. That's not long-term. They brought all. They also brought back Mackenzie Alexander after a one-year sabbatical with Cincinnati, so he's back, too. I, just, they, I think they my opinion, Harrison Smith back there, too, right? They do, who, yeah. in my opinion, is top two safety in the league. But, um, you know, he's – that secondary is a little bit better than last year. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think you're right. I mean – it's going to come down to the Vikings and the Bears. I think we could all agree with that. Uh, Tone, last question for you. Yeah. Kyle O'Brien. I know you probably have somewhat of an inside scoop on this guy. Um, obviously, he's now the Giants' senior yeah. personnel executive. Do you think he played a role in the Giants getting Galladay? And do you think he could be a GM one day, potentially? I definitely – his trajectory says he could be. I mean, for sure. Yeah. Um, I do think that the connection probably does help land Galladay, which is kind of weird because you didn't, and I don't know if it was just because of the COVID era, not as much like moving around people. It didn't seem like Galladay had a lot of, I wouldn't say have a lot of suitors, but there was not a lot of news coming out of like this team was after Galladay, this team was after Galladay. I'm sure there were teams after Galladay because they, I mean, he's a good, good wide receiver. I mean, definitely, especially in this class, um, but, uh, you know, you saw a lot of, like, lower, less pricey guys go. So um, I think the Giants know what they're doing. Definitely bringing in uh, Kyle O'Brien. Good good situation for him, too. I think he became your guys' – they created a new role for him, didn't they? It's the senior – I think he's the senior personnel executive. Executive, yeah. So yeah. anytime you bring a guy in and you kind of create a spot for him, it shows that the the franchise sees value in in a guy. I mean, if you have a if you have a spot where you know you've never even done that before, and then now you're bringing it in, you're starting it for him. That means you want him in the building, which means if you want him in the building, most likely he's doing something to improve your team, which ultimately will probably lead to him being a GM down the down the road. It's a networking business. I mean, like mo- like most businesses in, in that structure. It's who you know. It's what they know of you and, like, what they think they can get out of you. And I think being constantly moving up shows that people like him, people are, are trying to take them from another team to bring to your building, even in a crazy, you know, not necessarily great franchise he came from, but they saw something in him and they want to grow him. So yeah, I think he's definitely a future GM. I would, I wouldn't be surprised if awesome. even in the next couple of years, to be honest with you, maybe that's not with another Giants, team, but yeah, yeah that's what I was say. Another team might <laughs> scoop him up from underneath. That seems how, so. how it goes. I mean, it's definitely hard to, it's hard that that Patriots like inner working kind of thing doesn't, I mean, that's a, that's a, 
that doesn't happen often in the NFL. A lot of times you have guys who just get pilfered off. But you see guys leaving the Patriots becoming GMs everywhere. You know what I mean? Like it's like I think that's uh that's the the new mold of how GMs get hired. You know, you see right. somebody go up and then you almost have to take a it's like kinda like the draft to be honest with you. It's kinda like I know he's like two positions away from being the GM, but like if we don't get him now, we ain't getting him. So it's like they almost have to take a chance on the guy. So I can see I could see him in the next couple of years if if there's some success, especially if Daniel Jones comes out, Galladay's a success, you know, you have all this you know, they get some buzz behind them, they make some playoff runs. Yeah, I can see teams coming calling. Awesome. I definitely appreciate that inside scoop. And I just want to say, watch out for your Detroit Lions. They're young. They're up and coming. Let's see what happens. But, Tone, anything you'd like to add here before we let you go tonight? I, no, I, thanks for letting me, uh, having me come on. It's it's always good to talk actual good football like when there's nothing going on because it's so hard. May is such a tough time to talk football. But with the draft just happening, obviously there's excitement. And then, uh, you know, yeah, I really, uh, really enjoyed you guys asking me coming on. This was a super fun conversation. Um, so definitely be uh, letting more people know. And if you guys, uh, I don't know if you guys are um, college football fans as well. I, some yes. people, it seems, it's weird. You, know, you meet some people who are like, I don't really know anything about college football, but I love the NFL and vice versa. And a lot of people are in the middle. But um, we have a really good uh, college football show on our, on our uh, network. It's called Spiked College Football. And those guys are like well-connected. They, they have a lot of Coastal Carolina connections, Miami connections. Um, check those guys out if you're a football fan because they really know what they're talking about and they bring people on and it's it's like this show sort of but for college football so definitely check check them out um, other than that it's uh, nothing really to add just uh, enjoying the time hopefully the Lions do halfway decent if we win if we're, we we win more than we lose I'll be happy this year um, is uh, playing the long game for the first time I think that's the good part about getting rid of a guy like Matt Stafford is it allows you to not be like, oh my god, our window is closing. It's like, okay, kind of blank canvas. Let's see where we can go from here. So, I'm pumped on that for this season. It's going to be a weird rewiring of fandom, but uh, well, I guess we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Tone. Appreciate you coming on. Make sure yep. to go check out Tone Gordon. Um, he's going to be live tonight on Off the Rails oh, podcast. We, we, we don't go. We don't go live on ours. We're, okay, we're gonna uh, do a recording tonight. And sh- surprisingly, yes, yeah, that that episode will drop Monday. Um, but uh, yeah, we I don't know if you guys have kids, but we can't really go no. live often. We have no. kids that run it. I'm surprised that I didn't have at least one kid come in. Shocking, <laughs> especially when you have a three year old, just constant. So I got lucky <laughs> on this one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah we ha- but we but we have a uh, we have a uh, Andy from the brew party coming on, and so that episode will be out. Uh, monday following monday excellent yeah he's great so again thank you so much for joining us tonight really appreciate your time and hope to speak to you again in the future definitely you know about your detroit lions and awesome we actually do have an nfc north show on our network called the north pole so nice uh whatever i didn't know about that i'm gonna check that out i'm a big i'm a big podcast listener i listen to a ton of podcasts every week i'll add it to the rotation awesome y'all definitely uh give you some (laughs) info on that but thank you so much again for joining us tone really appreciate it Definitely. No, thank you for having me. Absolutely. No problem. <laughs> Later, guys. See ya. Take care. All right. That was Tone Gordon from the Off the Rails podcast. Make sure to go check him out. John Suggs, Spiked Football TV. Yes, I believe that's what he said. So um, make sure to go check that out. You could probably find Tone Gordon on Twitter. 
Um, if, if you're looking to check him out, he produces a podcast hosted by Antoine Bethay and Darius Butler, two former football players. So he was definitely a lot of fun, Kyle. Really appreciated having him on. That inter- that interview was just outstanding. Uh, it's it's hard to find hardcore Lions fans. That's the one team that I've noticed it's really tough to find content creators for. So when I it quick clicked in my head, oh, I remember this guy from Thursday night because Andy Hopper had like 20 guests on his show. And I'm like, he was the one guy that I really liked that stuck out to me. Not that I didn't like the other guests, but he really stuck out to me. So I was happy to get him on. Yeah, definitely some good conversation, like Tone said. Just a nice, you know, last almost almost an hour conversation just about the Lions, the rest of the division, and some of the other teams within the division, the rest of the NFC, and as the NFL as a whole. So definitely some great conversation last hour. Absolutely. Now let's get back into some of the notable picks of the draft. And, folks, in a few minutes we will be recapping the Giants draft together. I know I posted a YouTube video about it the other day, but – Kyle and I will have our live discussion, as I always love to have with Kyle post-draft. John Suggs, NFC, worst draft, Seahawks or Panthers? actually thought the Panthers had a decent draft. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw that comment earlier. And, and John, I think you're from the Carolina area. I don't know if you're a Panthers fan or not, but I, looking over the draft, I thought they had a pretty great draft, to be quite honest with you. Maybe, maybe the J.C. Horn pick is a little questionable, but you saw last year how the defense was such a need – in fact, John, and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure they used all 10 of their picks last year in the draft on defense. Look to continue to add on to that. Jeremy Chin, you know, was really great. Dante Jackson, who wasn't a rookie last year, but was a solid number one corner. They had a number two right next to him, one of the best corners in the draft. They draft a good tackle on Brady Christensen in the third round to protect Sam Darnold, give Sam Darnold another weapon in Terrace Marshall Jr., who people said, you know, Shouldn't have fallen that far. You know, those first three picks alone, pretty solid. Chubba Hubbard, uh, Chubba Hubbard uh, out of Oklahoma State, nice backup replacing maybe a Mike Davis potentially, giving so Christian McCaffrey doesn't have the ball, have to have the ball in his hands 40 times a game. I, I thought they had a pretty solid draft. Seahawks, I mean, I get the argument. Seahawks are always that team in the mix just because they never have any draft picks. They only had three this year, I think. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge was the most notable pick, being their second-round pick. Again, that's I, I feel that's more so a Russell Wilson pick, John, just because, again, this is a team that's, I guess you'd say, now listening to their quarterback and what they want. The only reason why that's questionable is just because, you know, when you look at that team, it's not what they need. Uh, they have Ty Lockett. They have DK Metcalf. They did lose David Moore to, I think, the Carolina Panthers. But yep. they, they have zero offensive line. They have really zero defense with the exception of, Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams. And I think they addressed that in the later picks, uh, the last two picks that they had. But again, to not be reaching on some of this offensive line talent, some of this interior defense talent, or even corners, was very uh, surprising to see that that wasn't something that they addressed. So, yeah, I agree. Seattle had a terrible draft as usual. They don't do much to help Russell Wilson. So they are going to continue to being a uh, fringe playoff team until Russell Wilson leaves or retires, which he won't retire anytime soon, in my opinion. But the Cowboys are an interesting team to talk about. They drafted Micah Parsons after trading down. They had 11 total picks. Their first six were all defense. Um, I was talking to Brian Atard from the Sports Box, huge Cowboys fan. I thought they had a couple reaches. I did not like what they did um, after Micah Parsons. I know they got a couple of good players on on their roster, but um, I I just thought I I wasn't – I mean, some of them were good. They had some good points, but 
there were other picks that just didn't really click in my mind. I'm look, I'm scrolling down now to the second round. They they took Kelvin Joseph corner out of Kentucky, which was a good pick. But then in the I forget what round it was. In the fourth round, they got Jabril Cox, but I didn't like their third round picks. I didn't like their mid round picks, to be honest with you. I thought there was a couple reaches in there. Um, again, they have an older offensive line, so you want to address that. They didn't really address that early on in the draft. I think they were just way too over concerned about the defense where they started reaching for guys. I kind of want your take on um, Steve. <laughs> I love any bad draft pick the Cowgirls make. Yep. Oh, yeah, listen, I, I would happen to agree, but but being that their defense was so, so bad last year, it's yeah. kind of hard to argue what they picked in, in a masses versus what they kind of didn't address because they only had – I think you said they had 11 draft picks, time 10 draft picks, and only two of them were on offensive linemen, and those were in the latter picks. I think the last pick of their draft was an offensive lineman. I think they drafted – I want to say Josh Ball, I think it was. I think it was his name was offensive lineman. Uh, so. Yeah, Josh Ball out of Marshall in the fourth round. But being that their defense was so bad, it's kind of hard to argue with what they picked in the masses. Maybe the players that they picked, uh, again, towards the mid-rounds, it's hard to tell what these teams were reaching on versus what was you know actually a position of need or what they felt like. And you also got to remember as well is that Dan Quinn is there. Uh, Norvell, is, uh, I believe it was Norvell, is out. Dan Quinn is there as the new defensive coordinator. He needs to build this defense back from the ground up. They have a solid foundation up in front. They have some decent linebackers now adding Micah Parsons. He needs to build that secondary tremendously. And I think that they did a great job of that. Now being, do these picks pan out? Only time will tell. But being that Dan Quinn, when he was solely focused on the defense with the Seattle Seahawks, a lot of those picks that panned out to be tremendous players were these later round picks that were kind of seen as after-soft players like a Richard Sherman, like a Cam Chancellor, some guys that were really, really great in this league for a long time. So we'll see what happens with their draft, but I can't argue with the amount of defense and how much they addressed it because giving up 35 points a game for the first five, six games of the season, that's obviously going to be a need uh, come draft time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Mike Nolan was their defensive coordinator last year, if I'm not mistaken. Nolan, Nolan. I mix Norval Nolan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, Nolan, and now it's Dan Quinn, former head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. But we do have a comment about the Bucks as well. I thought the Bucks had a good draft. Again, they didn't have that many needs. You could argue maybe Joe Tryon shouldn't have been the 32nd overall pick, but there was a late push at edge rusher, and the Bucks needed one, so they wanted to make sure they got one. And then Kyle Trask at 64, um, as John says, thoughts on Tampa getting Trask and learning behind the GOAT. I'll get to my thoughts quick, and then Kyle will get to yours. I think – Kyle Trask has the potential to be the best quarterback out of this draft class uh, quietly. I think he's going to learn. Anyone who learns under Tom Brady has that potential, right? Um, we don't know how much longer Tom Brady's going to play. He could still be playing three to five years from now. He could be gone after the end of next season. Who knows? But I think Kyle Trask is in an excellent position. He's from Florida, so this is a good fit. He played there for years, um, not to mention that – um, you know, SEC talent Tampa Bay has on their roster. Kyle Trask played in the SEC. He's familiar to that. Um, I talked to my brother about that. We really like what they did. Jalen Darden in the fourth round out of North Texas. That was one of my sleepers. They went and got him. They got Rob Hainsey out of Notre Dame in the third round, which I think that was a little bit too soon for Hainsey, but you got a good Notre Dame offensive lineman. You can't go wrong with that. I really like what Tampa Bay did. 
I like Kyle Trask a lot. Yeah, I like Kyle Trask a lot too. And again, you know, with quarterbacks, it all depends on the system in which you're put in. And that'll really show if you're not good or not, but are able to hit that highest peak of, you know, your ability to play quarterback at a high level in this league. And that's why before, John, if you were listening, I said I think Trey Lance has the ability to be the best quarterback, not because I think individually he might be the most talented, but because of the fact that he will guaranteed most likely be in the best system come day one when that day does come versus a guy in Zach Wilson with the Jets versus a guy in Trevor Lawrence with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Justin Fields with the Bears, uh, maybe with the exception of Mac Jones because Bill Belichick will look to succeed in that offense, whatever he puts him in with Mac Jones. But having Kyle Trask there immediately whenever Tom Brady retires, just look at the weapons that he has around him. You almost say to yourself, yeah. What individual can potentially fail in an offense so tremendous? And you look at not only the offense, but the defense as well. The defense is so young and so stout and will be for the next five-plus years because a lot of these guys are locked up, for the most part, long-term, with the exception of some one-year guys like Anomic and Sue. Justin, uh, uh, JPP is getting older, but he's still there and performing at a high level. But for the most part, that secondary and linebacking core is full of a lot of young defensive talent. So they're going to be here for a while. And whenever the time does come when Tom Brady chooses to hang him up, whether it's two, three years down the line, Kyle Trask will be ready more than likely than any other quarterback, having that knowledge impeded upon him for three-plus years, two-plus years in the NFL, sitting behind the greatest of all time. Yeah, I, I do agree. It'll be interesting to see. Honestly, he might have been one of my favorite day two picks. We'll get to that in just a couple moments. But uh, Mac Jones to New England, uh, he'll compete with Cam Newton, could potentially sit behind him. I don't know where you stand with that. I mean, you had Mac Jones to the Patriots. Uh, I'm not shocked they took him at 15. That belichick Nick Saban connection is criminally underrated. Uh, they continue to show it. I like what they did with Mac Jones. They got Christian Barmore in the second round, his teammate out of Alabama, who, in my opinion, was a first-round talent. Yeah, He was one of the top 20 most talented players on this draft, in my opinion. They got him. They got Ronnie Perkins, too, right? And that was your guy as well. Oklahoma, third round. Well, one of my guys. Not one of your guys. Yeah, guy, one of your guys. But, um, after, after I learned he had a suspension, he was not really my guy. But, yeah, wow. one of my guys. Um yeah, Ronnie Perkins is a good edge rusher for them. You can throw him in there with Chase Winovich. Their edge, I think they got Van Noy back, so they have guys. Um, but, yeah, other than Mac Jones, because I know we talked about him earlier, what do you think of New England's picks? Again, uh, Bill Belichick drafting, not the best track record as a drafter, but not bad. Yeah, I thought they had a tremendous draft. Uh, again, when you look at Bill Belichick, he's the type of guy where you can ultimately never question what he drafts because you know that in a system where he'll use these players, he'll get the most out of them probably than any other coach slash GM in the league would. And that's why no matter what pick he makes, whether it's guys like a Ronnie Perkins who you said, you know, had a suspension, you know, may have some off the field issues, you know, can be one of the next top edge rushers that we'll see later down the line is getting this big type of money contract like a, like a Trey Flowers became, right? A, a Trey Flowers kind of developed his name in New England out of absolutely nowhere, had one season, and then became what? Like an $80, $90 million edge rusher with the Detroit Lions? Can yep. essentially be that same type of presence uh, with the New England Patriots as their edge was one of the worst positions last year. In fact, I think they finished off like last in terms of overall sacks on the season. Bringing in a guy, Kyle Van Noy, bringing him back, having Dante Hightower back will be tremendous for them. 
Stefan Gilmore will be healthy. It seems that they're not moving on from him, at least for this season. Maybe they'll trade him the deadline. Maybe they'll trade him before the season starts. We'll see what happens. But the defense looks great on paper right now. And the offense, obviously, all that they develop in terms of spending in the free agency market and in terms of uh, you know bringing in Mac Jones as well. Again, I think that no matter what, Bill Belichick is in a, in a place where he will set his guy, no matter who it is, up in a position to succeed. And I brought it up with Cam when we were talking about Cam being brought to New England, is that yeah. Cam Newton had COVID-19 and essentially had nobody to throw to the entire season and still managed to win seven games, right? I mean, that's pretty That's pretty great, to be quite honest with you. That's pretty impressive that they were able to even accomplish that, having the most players opt out, I believe it was eight, having really zero edge ability, having guys in and out of lineup injured some of your best players like Julian Edelman, Stefan Gilmore, and having really zero offensive production. Only uh, Cam Newton only had like 12 passing touchdowns or eight passing touchdowns last year. And yet they still managed to scrape together a seven and nine win season. Now you right. add all that you add in free agency. You're getting back everybody that you missed out on uh, from the opt outs, coming back to your team on the defensive side of the ball, adding Christian Barmore in the interior, which I think is criminally underrated and how impactful that's going to be. And now Mac Jones in a system in which Bill Belichick has run for the past 20 plus years with not non athletic, really, really great pocket pass quarterbacks that are fit to a system, I think it's going to be tremendous. Now, when Mac Jones' time will come, that's the biggest question mark because, again, I talked to Fitz, uh, Kevin Fitzmorris of JDF Sports about it, and we were talking about is there a cap on Cam and how many games he gets, and I was bringing up the point that, you know, not why waste your time, but why try to build an offense around Cam and try to build a system around Cam when ultimately when that time does come for Mac – you're going to have to basically reteach your offense a whole nother system because it's the direct opposite of what Mac Jones is bringing to the table versus Cam Newton. But we'll see. Overall, I think they had a great draft. I love. I personally like the Mac Jones selection. I do too. It's a good selection. Uh, the Raiders, seventeenth, take Alex Leatherwood. No idea why he was the third offensive lineman off the board. I thought he was one of the two to three pure reaches in the first round. That's a reach because he was not highly coveted. At that position, I would have preferred them take Tevin Jenkins there over Alex Leatherwood, but they took him. They did make up for it, taking Trayvon Morrig in the second round. Did not like what the Raiders did there. They were one of the losers of the draft three. Miami, I love what Miami did. They got Jalen Waddell, Jalen Phillips out of Miami, first edge rusher off the board out of the University of Miami, the Hurricanes, that is. So sticking Home, hometown ground right there. Warrior fell, by the way. I, I found I read into it a little bit why he fell. Apparently, no. Why did why did he fall? So I read a report by Ian Rappaport. Uh, apparently, he had at the combine. Uh, they found a lot of issues with his back, and so I seemingly mm-hmm. see like that's probably the reason why he fell. I just, for me, I just don't know why it came out until now to find out that information. But that that's at least what he reported is that he had a lot of issues with his back. Was there a safety taken before him? I don't think there was. Yes. Remember Javon Holland was taken by Javon Miami. Holland. Yes. Yes. I do remember you talking about that. Crazy, right? Ugh. Yeah. But um, Miami's third pick. My favorite pick for the Dolphins, because he's already their best offensive lineman, Liam Eichenberg, will be protecting <laughs> to his blind side in 2021. A solid pick who will likely start at right tackle, opposite of Austin Jackson, who – Liam Eikenberg and Austin Jackson are the two strongest offensive tackles 
to enter the NFL draft over the past five years. And if you don't believe me, the two of them had the most bench press reps out of all tackles drafted in the past five years. So they are good. Eichenberg, I think he had 33, and Austin Jackson had 27. So um, that's definitely some good stuff right there. And I think Eichenberg would be a fine right tackle despite playing left tackle at Notre Dame. Mike McGlinchey did a very similar thing when he was drafted by the 49ers. Kyle, I thought Miami had an excellent draft. I really can't complain about it. They're setting themselves up for success again. Plether, I mean, two first-round picks, and then Liam Eikenberg, a guy who could have potentially snuck in at the back end of the first round. Yes, there's injury concerns with Jalen Phillips with the concussions. His career is probably one or two bad concussions away from being done. But how do you think Miami did overall? I thought they were personally one of my winners. Yeah, they were definitely one of my winners as well. Um they, you know, the defense in which they have, we saw it last year, was that they were, I guess you could even go to the extent of saying that they were surprisingly elite. I, I would go as far and say they were surprisingly elite in, ha- in how well they performed. For me, where it became uh, a little more questionable is that for me personally, I, I would have liked them to see, you know, I know I get, I get it. They drafted Eichenberg. I wanted to see them uh, address the offensive line just a little more only because, again, for me, after seeing how the draft unfolded last year and how the season unfolded, and you saw it in the offseason before the whole Deshaun Watson scandals came out, Miami was the top suitor, and they were the top suitor because there was a lot of questions around Tua from people saying Tua would have been the number one overall pick if he didn't get hurt from people saying, is he even a NFL-ready quarterback, you know, just in a matter of one season of play. And we saw that inconsistency in the lineup. And so for me, I would have liked to see them address the offensive line a little more just to protect them a little more, as well as the running back position. That was a question for me as well, because I think that they, and don't quote me on this, weren't they originally in the 20 range and they moved up to 18 to draft Phillips, or were they already at there? I think they might I think they might have been. Man is already 18. They were at 18? Okay. They were already liked, 18. If, even though it may have been a reach, I would have liked to have seen them draft a running back. They did in the seventh round, but that's essentially you know a pick that may probably won't last. But uh, because they had so many inconsistencies at that position, they had Miles Gaskin, who was really good last year, but got hurt. Uh, Savan uh, Ahmad got hurt as well. Just give somebody for two to hand off into the backfield as well. Maybe draft, even though they drafted Waddle, a little more depth at the position. Uh, at wide receiver just because after uh, Devontae Parker and uh, now Jalen Waddle, that position falls off tremendously as well. I was going to ask you about it. How do you feel about the the Hunter Long pick by uh, Miami? Uh, we're shocked that he went before Brevin Jordan, but Fonz kept raving to me about how Brevin Jordan, he's better than Fryer Muth, at which I totally disagreed with. Um, yeah, I didn't I, agree with that either. I think, I think Brevin Jordan – was more of a third to fourth round guy. I thought for sure he would have went in day two. My only, I don't know what they, I don't know what exactly they were thinking when they took Hunter Long over uh, Brevin Jordan. I mean, he's 6'5", 250. Maybe you want to help with the run blocking to help that offensive line, like you just mentioned. If they run that 12 personnel, maybe that's what you're looking for, to guy to pair in with Mike Jacecki. But um, Marty Joins has a comment from Intercept Your Lunch. Make sure to go check out Marty on his Facebook page 
and YouTube channel. We've had him on the show. He's had uh, me as well. Dolphins have so much capital, they can address it next year. I do love Hunter Long, John Bates, who Washington football team took in the fourth round was a steal. FYI, sunglasses emoji. Well, while we're on it, why don't we talk about the Washington football team who took Jamin Davis 19th overall? Marty, you did not seem too pleased by that pick. I'm not going to go ahead and say it was a reach. I know he was taking a few picks after Zavin Collins, who Washington probably wanted to target. If you wanted a linebacker at that position, I thought Nick Bolton would have went before Jamin Davis. I guess I was wrong there, but um, I thought Jamin Davis, his ceiling was like the last three to five picks of the first round. I thought he was more of a day two player. I don't know what you thought about him, Kyle. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. That's how he was being evaluated. You know, in the coming weeks prior to the draft, people were saying he was moving from the fourth round to the third round and the third round to the second round, just on based on his ability to perform at a high level. But to see him go with the 19th overall selection, yeah. excuse me, I think, it, listen, it could have been a reach. I think he'd be noted at that at this point in time. But again, in that system, in Washington's defense right now, they just keep on adding and adding and adding to that stack defense. And it almost makes you say to yourself, again, even if this guy doesn't perform at the, the best of levels, he'll be pretty great because, again, he will be a benefactor on a lot of these plays considering that offenses have to target, have to mislead and target their offenses around other players on the defensive side of the ball because they have so much coming at them, having to worry about Chase Young, De'Aaron Payne, uh, uh Allen, Jonathan Allen, they have to worry about Landon Collins. They have to worry about the cornerback situation. Um, they just have so much that Jameen Davis, again, where you guys lost linebackers and Ryan Anderson and Ryan Kerrigan, who I'm hearing may sign back potentially, but maybe. But, yeah, I think he will, yeah. But I think it's it might have been a reach. But with the exception of that pick, Tom, we talk about the rest of this Washington draft. I like the Cosme pick. You know, it, it was good. where it came down to – you know, at that point in the draft, we saw offensive linemen flying off the board. So they grabbed their guy with the 51th overall selection. I really love – for Washington, my guy that I loved a lot, I love uh, Dimey Brown out of uh, North Carolina. I love that selection personally. I think that that guy is going to have a lot of success being in a, a, a nice core of receivers with Terry McLaurin, being in a nice core with who they just added, um, Curtis Samuels, uh, now you have a nice offensive weaponry in terms of receiver where necessarily last year they didn't have that. Right. No, I definitely agree. I also like the, the Yami Brown pick, as you mentioned, Marty, another comment, initial thought. Yes, this is on Jamin Davis. I'm in love. LOL. Your initial video reaction got me always good stuff on the review and preview. Can't wait till the NFL season. Thank you so much for that comment, Marty. Your initial reaction of Tony Tom was the highlight of the draft. You screaming. I love it. It was good. Co- I didn't scream when Tony got drafted. I was actually, you know, I, uh, you were, when you were maybe, on Andy, you know, I watched it. It was it was kind of funny. So Sam, Andy, and Hank were like, what? And you, like, took a pause for, like, a solid 10, 15 seconds, and then you just came back out of nowhere, and you're like, that's an excellent pick by the Giants. It was. It was. Because your, your facial reaction looked like, what is this team doing? But then you came in with that. Well, so – Okay, and I'll tell you exactly what went through my mind. I was at my friend's. Ke- I was at my friend Kevin's house, and 
he was saying like, what the hell is going on? Why did they take him? But I heard rumors a day before. I forget who it was. Entertainer on um, Entertainer Talking Sports, his YouTube channel, big Giants content creator, saying, "Don't be shocked if the Giants go after Kadarius Tony uh, early in the second round, or if they trade up and back to the end of the first round to get him." And the more I thought about it, Kadarius Tony wasn't a reach, guys. A reach is where you takes a reach is Alex Le- is Alex Leatherwood. Kadarius Tony was valued at that position. In fact, the Jaguars wanted him. They yeah, I heard Urban Meyer stated that he that he would have potentially taken him. Uh, I don't know if he would have taken him over ETN, or maybe he would have hoped that he would have fell to the second round, as they did start off on day two with the thirty third selection with that first pick. But right again, uh, you know, my buddy talked to me about that as well. That's that's very high praise, you know, from a guy who's worked in great college systems. But that's when it it starts and stops. Is that he's worked at college systems all his career? You know, what does he know about? evaluating high-level NFL talent and how that will transition to right. lead. That's no offense to Urban Meyer, but just the reality of the fact is that with the exception of Urban Meyer, you look at Jacksonville as a whole, when have they necessarily drafted so tremendously in the past? Right. So No, that's true. I mean, they took Travis Etienne. Yeah, I, I like that pick. That was probably their backup if Tony wasn't – I mean, they were 100% oh, yeah. taking Tony to pair with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, we took them out of Jacksonville's pocket, which – you know, we'll get to that in just a couple of moments. I, I, I want to say that as well because when I read that, the first thing I thought of when we were talking to Fonz on day two, um, it was day two, I think it was, uh, when we did yes. the reaction show. I said, watch, I think they'll take a receiver. I really did think that they'd take a receiver, even though they had some depth. I just gave Trevor Lawrence another weapon to work with and comes out that they wanted to draft the receiver on day one. So, Yeah. Um, not to mention, I mean, I think overall – they went running back too because Najee Harris went right before them to the Steelers. I was a little confused because I, I like James Robinson. I do. I don't know how that's going to end up in Jacksonville. I thought they might have went in line there at 25 with Tevin Jenkins. They did not. Speaking of funds, his Baltimore Ravens took Rashad Bateman. Do you think he's finally the answer for Lamar? Is he that number one guy? I mean, every year there's talk about, oh, Baltimore is going to get Lamar a number one receiver, but then it never happens. Do you think Bateman is finally the guy – who's going to come in and provide those elite number one wide receiver results that Lamar Jackson is looking for? My answer is no. I hope so for Fonz's sake. I really do. He's been deprived ever since uh, – he's really been deprived for, for a long time now. When is when is the last time, with the exception of maybe Steve Smith, that, that the Baltimore Ravens have really had a, a really, really good number one receiver? It's been a long time now. Derek Mason? Yeah, long time. But And Quan um, Bolden? Yeah, Quan was, was good. Uh, I think he had some of his better years as Cardinal. But point yeah. being is that I think that this is a great pick for them. And it's one yeah. of those things where you say to yourself, if it doesn't pan out, you can't really question it because it's something they needed. They needed a number one receiver, and that meant the bigger body receiver, which he was. I think he's 6'2". You know, had a, like I pointed before when we were talking about the Giants drafting Kadarius Tony. one of my big sticking points was if you were going to go receiver, go with somebody that had, you know, not a lot of success but more consistent success. Uh, uh, success. And that was Rashad Bateman, who had three really good seasons at Minnesota. That, that sophomore season was fantastic. And I think that if T. Martin, who Tone told us, was the wide receivers coach, if he can develop – 
those receivers and develop because that wasn't the only receiver they drafted, right, Tom? They drafted another one, I think, later on. In- they did draft another one. I can't remember his name. Let me let me search uh-huh. it up. I'll look at their draft picks. But anyway, I think that I, I don't know if it's gonna be the immediate answer because my thing and you know, Ravens fans, whether you like it or not, my thing is this is that it yes, you need better receivers, but at the same time. Lamar Jackson needs to be a better passing quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's that's the sticking point with me. Is that you could have you could have Julio, you could have DeAndre Hopkins, you could have you know Tyree Kill, you could have all these guys. But is your quarterback going to hit those targets? That's the question. Right. None of those guys matter if you can't hit your target. And that's the question because even with guys like Marquise Brown. Who's a speedster, immediate break in on every single play, beat a guy off the line of scrimmage almost every single play. You saw he was missing guys open down the field. That's the question. I think Rashad Bateman is a bigger type of body where it becomes harder to do that as Marquise Brown is much smaller. But I think that this is the stepping stone in the right direction to start building some consistency, which is deemed to be, I would think, their number one receiver come start of the NFL season. And that other receiver was Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State, by the way. That's the one they took later on. I think that was the fourth round, fifth round pick they they got him in. So yeah. that was their other guy. And Steven brings up a good point. How many balls will Bateman get in that Ravens system? As you know, Lamar loves to throw to tight ends. I mean, they, they have Mark Andrews, who he loves to throw to. He leads them in touchdown receptions essentially every year. I don't think he's the answer just because of how they run that offense. And that's a really good point. Um, they're run the football play action pass type of offense. They don't take many deep shots. Uh, I do love their third round pick and Ben Cleveland that they brought in. I wanted the giants to get him at 76, 71 when we ended up trading up. Uh, I really wanted the giants to get Ben Cleveland, but the Ravens got him and they got a gem at the guard position to help that offensive line out. Um, maybe even play center. They got to replace Patrick McCarry. So who knows? I like what the Ravens did in this draft again. They're one of the winners for me. They came back at pick 31, took Jason Owe out of Penn State, local kid out of Howell, New Jersey. No sacks last year, a little concerned, but he's playing with Tyus Bowser and Pernell McPhee. I think he'll easily outperform both of them and turn into the Ravens' number one edge rusher sooner than later. I like Owe a lot. There was a big run on the edge position in the end of the first round. Four out of the last five picks were edge rushers. Peyton Turner had five sacks last year. Greg Rousseau. For the Bills, Joe Tryon for the Bucks. Which one of those four was your favorite? In my honest opinion, I'm going Jason Owe, despite the no sacks. I like him a lot. Yeah, I like Jason Owe a lot. I was talking to Fonz about that as well. You know, we were talking about, you know, on day two when we opened up the draft show as Fonz was our first guest. I said I like Owe a lot. And I the 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 reason why I wasn't as concerned with the no sacks is because he's being put in a system that's so deep with defensive talent, especially on that line, to the point where it's, again, he will be a benefactor on the fact that defensive line, offensive lines will have to worry about Derek Wolf, will have to right. worry about Brandon Williams, will have to worry about uh, Calais Campbell. And Jason Owe on that other side will be a benefactor of that, I think. I really, again, I was a big Gregory Rousseau guy. I don't know the hate against him or the slander against him that people have. I love that pick personally. I think that'll be really good for Buffalo, and I think you're going to see that on their defense. Because, Tom, that was something I was talking to you about as soon as the season ended or during the playoffs when Buffalo wasn't able to beat the Chiefs. And I said, you know, with the exception of a little improvement upon the offensive line and a little improvement upon the run game, maybe another running back in there because Devin Singletary and 
Um, the guy they drafted at Utah, Zach, Zach Moss, may not be the number one answers, but are great running backs. Maybe as a number two, but they need a a star defensive edge. They need a star guy that gets to the quarterback. And I think that, on top of the fact they drafted Carlos Basham, who I also love, actually the Giants taking him in my second round mock draft because I liked what he did at Wake Forest. Those two guys on both sides of the uh, the line of scrimmage, opposite ends of each other, I think will really improve upon that defense. I agree. I also like what the Bills did with Spencer Brown in the third round out of Northern Iowa. Big needed tackle. They got him in opposite Deion Dawkins, so that should be interesting. Dominic Daniele in the live stream with a comment. What's up, Dom? How's it going? Uh, Dom was on hitting for the cycle last week, night before the draft. Make sure to go check that out. Uh, that'll be live Thursday this week with Hank and Dom. Uh, not Dom, but Hank will be hosting his baseball show. I hate to say it, but I think the Browns had a fantastic draft. Dom, the Pittsburgh Steelers fan, who saw his team get – Najee Harris and Pat Fryermuth in the first two rounds. The Browns took Greg Newsome night one. Then they took Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa in round two, who dropped all the way to number 52 due to a heart condition. Well, not so sure if it's a condition, but more of an issue that he had that scared some teams away. Don brings up a good point. I think the Browns got a real steal at number 52 in Owusu-Karamoa, despite the issue as a Notre Dame fan. I like him a lot. I think he was their best value pick of the draft here at number 52 because there were talks about him going potentially as soon as 15, 16. Eventually, somebody was going to have to take this guy, right? He, yeah. He's not going undrafted. He's not falling out of the second round, a guy who has top 15 to 20 talent written on his label. Yeah, I think the Browns really got a gem in this. You just hope, again, every pick in the NFL draft is a risk. Right. Every player is going to come with some injury risk, some health risk. Right. That's the risk you run with JOK. But overall, an outstanding pick for Cleveland, who, quite frankly, BJ Goodson and Taki Taki can't cover Jack, you know what? JOK can. No. So that's why I love what the Browns did in this draft. Dom brings up a good point. Yeah, Dom, I, I would have to 100% agree with you. They absolutely nailed this draft. I, I love almost every single one of their pit, uh, picks. I really love the Anthony Schwartz pick as well. Fastest player in this draft at the wide receiver position. Another deep threat for uh, Baker Mayfield to add to Jarvis Landry, Odo Beckham Jr., Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, Rashad Higgins. Yeah. It's fantastic what they're really building in Cleveland. On top of the fact, Dom, you look at that offseason they had, you know, going into this offseason, the defense was an issue. You add Tack McKinley, Jadavian Clowney, John Johnson, Troy Hill. Yeah. And you add Greg Newsom and uh, Jeremiah Osu Karamoa. I mean, that's that's fantastic. They really essentially I'm looking at this team right now. And, and Tom, really, what what holes do they even have? Really? What what do they have, to be quite honest with you? What's crazy is it all depends on Odell's health, because Odell and Jarvis were both banged up last year. It could potentially be wide receiver. That's how crazy. That sounds because the Browns offense is complete outside of their – I love that they have a tight end, Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, Dave Njoku. Uh, you know, I love that they have defensively now in the secondary as well. They went out, they got John Johnson, they got Greg Newsome. You know, they have good corners at this point. They have good linebackers now. I like their defensive line. I don't – did they draft a replacement for Sheldon Richardson? I don't know if they did. They were linked to Barmore, but they didn't take him. Yes, uh, Tommy uh, Toga, Toga, yeah, from uh, at Ohio State, who's Ohio also State. really who also had a really good season at Ohio State. He did. Um, quickly here, another couple 
few picks, notable picks on day two. Landon Dickerson for the Eagles. Asante Samuel Jr. fell all the way down to 47 for the Chargers. Love what they did. Samuel Jr. and then Rashawn Slater at 13. Those were both steals, in my opinion. I thought Aaron Banks at 48 for the 49ers was a reach. Uh, pure reach because they needed an interior lineman. Should not have went in the second round. I think he was a fourth-round guy. You can get away with mid to late third round. But middle of the second round, I'm sorry, that's atrocious. That's that's atrocious, in my opinion, for the 49ers. Um, Pete Werner. In the second round, are you yeah, kidding that was, me? But the whole, that whole Saints draft was kind of questionable. They had a lot of – the the Peyton Turner pick, I mean, I remember some reactions. I mean, we had one reaction, right? Connor Robinson, didn't he? I didn't even think he knew who the guy was. And that was a first-round selection. <laughs> Get an encyclopedia on this guy. Yeah, but, but that was just the reality of the Saints draft, which was interesting because the Saints usually are one of the teams – you know, I, I brought it up prior, you know, uh, in some previous, you know, draft shows that – when you look at the cream of the crop type of drafting, it usually comes from the Ravens. It usually comes from the Steelers. It usually comes from the Saints. They usually nail their yeah. drafts, all three of those teams. And to be honest, those teams were kind of questionable with the exception of the Ravens. The Steelers draft that Steve is bringing up, I'm a bit shocked the Steelers didn't draft a lineman with their first pick. I don't think running back was their main issue. Steve, my explanation for this, because I'm in partial agreement, the explanation for this is that they're, they're, they're trying to go on one last run with Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. And they can't have Ben Roethlisberger go into another season throwing the ball 50-plus times a game. And, and Najee Harris is, is a guy who uh, I think is fantastic. Uh, Dom has the complete opposite <laughs> opinion. But where, yeah, Dom, so where I would come to rebuttal this and Dom's now agree with you, Steve, and disagree with you, Dom, is that the the while Najee was great, like Steve's alluding to, I love Najee. Uh, that, that's a fantastic pick, is that you could have the best running back in the world. I mean, Tom, we've seen it firsthand, Saquon Barkley. It does not matter if you don't have an offensive line. If you don't have a great offensive line to run behind, you could have the greatest running back in the league. It doesn't matter. And that's Who they lost. lose? They Matt lost. Filer. Matt Filer. Matt Filer. Pouncey. They lost, lost Dylan Weaver officially today. As and they only replaced. They team. drafted a. Uh, they drafted Andy's guy out of Illinois. I forgot his name. Kendrick Green. Kendrick Green. Center. That's the only position I think they drafted on the offensive line. That was it. That's the only time they addressed the offensive well, line. I, I think Dom would have rather went one two because I know Dom, diehard Steelers. He was sold on Najee Harris from the get go. If he's there was, at twenty four, yeah. you kind of have to take him. <laughs> yes. But I see where Steve is coming from as well. I think Steve and Dom were they differ in their opinions. They would have maybe flip flopped what they did. Now, Steve, I'm not sure if you would have taken a running back in the second round for the Steelers, but I do think that was an issue. I do agree it wasn't the main issue. I think it's just really difficult for the Steelers to pass on a talent like Najee Harris. Yeah. And then and then you have to focus on the line, which they didn't do in round two. So and the running backs this year, Steve, they just it was not that deep of a class this year. After no, it wasn't. after Najee and ETN, and I guess you could say Javante uh, Javante Williams at a UNC, it was kind of a drop off at the running back position. So they got their tie versus versus a um, an offensive line class, which was absolutely tremendous this year, which had a yeah. a lot of picks. Um, couple more picks I want to go over. Quinn Miners to the Broncos in the third round. Love that. There is a run late in the third round on lots of interior linemen. Ben Cleveland, Rob Hainsey, Wyatt Davis, uh, Quinn Miners, who I would have loved to have seen fallen to the Giants in the fourth round. Um, but he didn't go. 
he might have been my favorite day two pick, honestly, um, just because of where he was taken. I thought his value was outstanding. Uh, Davis Mills in the third round to the but Joe's Fasai fell to the third round. I was a little surprised by that. The Chiefs. This is the last team we'll talk about before um, the Giants. Quick here. Nick Bolton and Creed Humphrey. Creed Humphrey fell to number 63. I was shocked that he fell as far as he, as he did both of those guys. But we had Paul. It was you, me, Paul, and Rob live as the Chiefs were picking. Yeah. I think Fitz might have been there too. Yeah. But Fitz was there for the Nick Bolton pick. Humphrey and Bolton. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was they just. They won the second round with those yeah. two picks. I was just surprised. I was just surprised that they didn't address the corner situation as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if they addressed that in the later rounds. I uh, didn't pay that much attention uh, to some of the later picks on day three after the Giants were done because they were done by the sixth round. Uh, yeah. But in terms of cornerback situation, you know, obviously we saw in the Super Bowl that was awful, the offensive line. But that secondary as well had a lot of questions at the corner position. And to not see them address that, well, obviously protecting your $500 million man is priority. And, you know, we saw they did that trading for uh, Orlando Brown, getting Joe Tooney, drafting interior offensive lineman in, in uh, Creed Humphrey. They have now significantly improved in a matter of one offseason. But I would have liked to have seen them address the secondary as well. I love the Nick Bolton pick. I think that that was also one of my sleepers. So I like to see that he got picked up by a really a great team that Steve Spagnola will have now as a defensive weapon in that tremendous defensive uh, system that he has in uh, for the Chiefs. Absolutely. Now, day three. Day three player, that turns into a steal. Um, not Ian Book, I'll tell you that much. Um, this was a humongous reach by the Saints. Oh, my God. Ian Book yeah, was not went in the fourth round. I'm a huge Notre Dame fan, and I love Ian Book. But in the fourth round, really, um, there's a chance he could be an NFL starter. If Jameis doesn't pan out, if Taysom Hill's not um, you know, the guy, which I don't think Taysom Hill is the guy. I think Taysom Hill, what makes him unique is that he plays in one role, and he's really good in that role. Uh, he could be the backup. I think Winston should be the starter this year with Hill as the backup, and then Ian Book is potentially your long-term quarterback of the future. I'm more okay with this if it comes in the fifth round or later, but in the fourth round, when you whiffed in the previous rounds, that's the problem that I have with this for the Saints. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, one that came to mind, I really liked the um, – I liked the Jabril Cox one. Uh, I, I like that one a lot by Dallas. I, I think that will help them at the linebacking position, adding to that as well. Maybe that more so could have been a replacement for a, a Sean Lee as he retires and you know working himself out of the system and adding Jabril Cox at LSU, at a, who had a good career. I think he started off – and don't quote me on this. I think he started off with – uh, North Dakota State, and then because of how great he was there, went to LSU. I, I believe it was him. Don't quote me on that, but I, I'm almost positive it was him. But that was one of my steals. I think that was a great player to add into that Dallas defense in which we saw they were obviously lacking, and I think that could potentially be one of the steals of this draft as we're talking about day three right now. My guys, Jacob Harris said of UCF, I do like what you said in Jabril Cox. I think he was a day two talent that went in day three. Uh, Jacob Harris went a little early in this draft, in my opinion. Um, Brian McArdle is going to kill me. 
Uh, he's a UCF fan. <laughs> I don't know if you caught him at the beginning of Andy's show on Thursday. Him and I had a little discussion about Jacob Harris, tall guy who was playing soccer in high school. He was not supposed to be a college football player, but he turned out to be, um, and he was a pretty good gem. I think his height is what got him drafted uh, this high. I think it was a little bit of a reach. I hate to use the word reach, but I, he was taken too soon. By yeah. the Rams. I mean, I don't think there's only very few picks that are a reach because I do think there's other teams that could have valued Jacob Harris in this position. I think he went too early, but I think he has the real threat to be a potential sleeper in this league because of his height. I think he could develop chemistry with Matt Stafford, and teams are not going to mark him as much because he's behind the likes of Cooper Cup, Robert Woods out in LA. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a big thing, not to mention the Rams also. They got an undrafted free agent, Ricky Prols. Actually, no, it's not Ricky Prols' son. He went to the Vikings. But they got another really good receiver, too. Um, I forget who it was. But I, my pick is Jacob Harris yeah. the UCF. Speaking of undrafted, because uh, I don't know if we're going to touch upon it, but just because you said an undrafted guy, I love Jared pa- uh, Patterson uh, out of Buffalo. Oh, yeah. And I, I thought he would – to be honest, I thought he would have been drafted. But I, I love that pick by them. He had a – I know, obviously, the one game that put him on the map, I think he had like eight touchdowns. But he, he had a really good season for Buffalo this year. But that, that would probably be one of my guys, under-the-radar type guys to potentially look out for. I like that. I definitely like that a lot. Now, we, we're going to talk about the Giants here for the last few minutes of the show, probably the next 10 to 15 minutes or so, and then wrap things up. But uh, I really like what the Giants did in this draft, not just as far as the picks that they made, but um, – Obviously, there's pluses and minuses to every team's draft, but Dave Gettleman earns himself a new nickname, Trader Dave, trading back. We (sighs) traded back with the Bears yeah, um, to get their first, which we took Tony with, um, first next year, fourth next year, and a fifth round this year, which we eventually traded away to the Broncos to move up in the third round. But yeah. Um, we weren't planning to do anything with that pick anyway because I was probably going to be used as trade bait to move up, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. But yeah. overall, before we kind of get into these picks, I really like what we did. I put the Giants in like top six to seven teams in this draft because the Giants clearly made it known that Joe Judge was going to be a heavy part of this process. They, And again, Giants fans forget this every year, including us. The Giants are always going best player available, regardless yeah. of, of the position. They went the whole draft without taking an offensive lineman, but still probably get an A for this draft somehow just because of what they did. And Dave Gettleman is starting to prove to us that, hey, he might be here to stay. This guy is putting a lot, not for himself, for the football team, and he's building for the future. You yeah. built through the draft, and that's what he's doing. Yeah. Listen, I don't, I don't disagree. I, I know we had some differing points on on some of the draft picks, but you know we go on for hours about that. My overall evaluation of you know what the Giants did, while I do think they did a, a great job, it just it, for me it just comes into question on like what the mindset is of this team. You know, Tom, for for such a long time, you know, since that Super Bowl, the the presence and aura of this team before Joe Judge came to play is that you know. Not that losing was acceptable, but losing was like okay in a sense. E- even this season, I don't know if you saw at the press conference prior to the draft a couple months ago. You know, John uh, Mara spoke out about it and said that you know the, our our season will not be defined upon making the playoffs. 
And that's an, an unfortunate thing to hear considering this is a team that's only made the playoffs one time in the last 10-plus years. And when you see your team trading out of picks and, and building up capital for next year, while it is intriguing, at the same time it becomes a factor of, okay, but we're not this team that's starting from square one, right? We're essentially all built from what you've done in free agency, from what we've done drafting in the top 10 the last few years. We're all done. These draft picks each have to solidify a specific need in the hole. And another thing that comes into question for me as well is that I could already see it happening, and I really don't want to see it happening, is that when the season starts, and I'm begging all my Giants fans out there, if I hear one complaint, about the offensive line being an issue, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, I'm going to be upset because it's like at the end of the day, it's not. It doesn't become how many more excuses for Daniel Jones, but how many more excuses for Dave Gettleman? Because even though they yeah. didn't have a lot of picks this year, to to see that not one of these picks was used on an offensive lineman, and the excuses, well, I guess they believe in the talent they have on the offensive line, and and I'm not going to disagree with that because uh, I can't, I, I don't know what they're watching. They didn't have a preseason. They didn't have all this time to work out in the off season. So maybe things have changed. Maybe players have developed into better players. Maybe Matt Pert is the next right tackle for the next 10 years. Who knows? But at the same time, based on how the season ended last year and, and what went on for 16 games, the offensive line was without a, a question, something that they needed to address and they just didn't. So that, that was for me. Overall, the draft, again, I, I love the Ellerson pick. I thought that was a great pick. Uh, I, I've come I've come along with the Tony pick. I, I've enjoyed it. I'm starting to like it a lot more. I still think, again, I still think it could have been a reach. I still think it could have been a day two kind of guy. But, again, what matters is performance. And if he performs at an extremely high level, it doesn't matter if you were drafted on day three or day one. doesn't. Uh, and I think it kind of, in a, in a sense, at least in my mind, it made up for the fact because how I thought Tony was a day two and we all thought Aziz was a day one, yet we still got Aziz in day two. So it's kind of like a vice versa flip kind of thing where you got your day one guy on day two and your day two guy on day one. So overall, I, I give the Giants a B plus and A minus on the overall grading of this. But I was just, again, as he's saying, I'm a bit concerned they didn't draft offensive line. So am I, Steve. So am I. So – I'm going to agree a little bit, and I'm going to disagree a little bit. Uh, I do agree with you that the offensive line is still a concern. That's the one thing I would have done differently in this draft. I would have took Ben Cleveland at 71 and not Aaron Robinson. In fact, I would have waited till 76 because he still would have been there, even though he did end up going 94. I would have been a little bit happier with that, but you can't go wrong with Aaron Robinson. That's an A pick, in my opinion. Um I like Aziz Ojolari. I know there's injury concerns about what happened with him in high school, but he did play all of college without having that as an issue. As I think the the cartilage issue, um, like the arthritis, that can be a concern. The older as older as he gets, but his trainers have done a fantastic job with him over the course of the years, making sure he doesn't get hurt. Um, I think. He's going to be an outstanding edge rusher for the Giants. He reminds me of a lot of uh, uh, O.C. Umanura. He has really good technique and footwork. I like his – he's kind of lanky too, which I like. Um, in fact, it was funny. They did an interview. Andrew Thomas was at his house when they drafted him. They were together, former teammates at Georgia, also former teammate of Lorenzo Carter, who's entering a contract year, X-Man contract year. Carter Coughlin, I like him, but he's a little bit undersized. Uh, Nico Lelos, undrafted free agent. 
Um, the offensive line, though, excuse me. I like what we have. I agree with Steve's point. We need more depth, right? So I think Pert and Thomas have to be our two tackles. And our starting center is an undrafted free agent, yeah. right? I mean, look what we did. We got Brett Hedgie, who was really good. He was Kyle Trask's center. And yeah. Jake Burton out of Baylor, who's a grad transfer from UCLA, who had a really good season with the Baylor Bears. So I think both of those two guys could potentially – make a push to make this roster, in particular, Brett Hedgie. Um, he could potentially push Jonathan Harrison or Zach Fulton because right now the bar is not set too high. Right now I'd imagine the starters are going to be Thomas, Hernandez, Gates, Lemieux, and then Pert. Lemieux would replace Zeitler, which is a humongous downgrade. I understand that. Um, but I'm all in for Matt Pert. I don't know if you knew this. Matt Pert played through a bad uh, ankle injury. In 2021, that's why he wasn't getting reps late in the season. And Andrew Thomas had surgery on his ankle. Um, not to make excuses for these guys, but that's the reality of the situation. I would have liked to have seen an O-line draft. And I'm giving the Giants an A-. I'm giving the Giants an A-. minus. I like Aaron Robinson out of UCF. I love Rodarius Williams, despite his age. You know me. Age isn't a huge factor for me. Uh, Gary Brightwell, that was the one pick that I'm going to come out and say that I did not like. There's always one pick you have to say that you don't like, um, in my personal opinion, that where I would have done differently. I don't think Gary Brightwell was the best option at that position with guys like Khalil Herbert still on the board, like with guys like Jarrett Patterson. I thought that Brightwell was not a bad pick. I thought it was a special teams pick, which I would have preferred to see somebody who could potentially push Devontae Booker for that number two backup running back slot. Kyle, I think Brightwell was the one pick I wasn't a big fan of, but my favorite pick was Aziz Ojolari. I like Ellerson Smith too. He provides good depth in case Ojolari does have injury issues. Ellerson Smith is six feet, six inches tall. Yeah. yeah Outstanding. Was- and he had, what, 14 and a half sacks with – uh, yeah. Northern Iowa, yeah, something like that. In um, because I know that he didn't play last season because the FCS I think got canceled their season. Um, but to address Steve's probably. point, uh, to address Steve's point, I think that it, it's kind of hard to take that assessment, Steve, just because based on the fact that in the first sixty-four picks, first two rounds, fifteen offensive line were drafted, and ten of those were drafted in the second round. So to say that your team wasn't in love with any of those guys, yet the rest of the league, 15 offensive linemen drafted in the first 64. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to make a statement like that and say that your team didn't like any of those guys to go uh, well, in the complete opposite direction. I really think they were sold on adding a playmaker or an edge rusher in round yes. one. Um, they were sold on adding a playmaker, and that's why they went with Kadarius Toney. Uh, they really liked the edge rusher pool in round two. I think that's where the best value was, which is why you started to see some go in the last few picks of the first round. Um, they didn't – the value didn't meet – I mean, I thought Wyatt Davis was a second-round talent. You could have easily went with him out of Ohio State. Ben Cleveland is another guy I really wanted on this team. Quinn Miners, although he's probably more of a center. Uh, they could have drafted Creed Humphrey at 50. They they could have drafted so many other players, but at the end of the day, the draft is over. The Giants didn't take a lineman. We have two first-round picks next year if the line is still an issue. And, and by the way, I don't know if you heard, but Daniel Jones, uh, well, where did he have a hamstring injury last year? 
or an ankle. Like apparently, I don't know if you heard his ankle injury was a lot more serious than what he made it out. I don't know if you read that. I read that today, saying that he played through a really gruesome ankle injury that could have ended his season and been a lot more serious. So I'm kind of glad that he played through that. Um, definitely look that up online if you didn't read that article. That was very, very interesting. But um, you know, not making excuses for this team and these players, but. I think they played through a lot of adversity last year. The left guard kept changing. Hopefully that's not the case. That definitely hurts you as a rookie left tackle. So all in all, I'm happy with this draft. I thought we did a good job. Again, you can't always address every single team need, but I'm going to give the Giants an A-. minus. I know you're flirting in that A-, minus B plus range, so I yeah. think we're along the same boat. I just think I like the Tony pick a little more. And I think you were more concerned about going edge in round one, probably O-line in round two. I kind of feel like that's where your head was at. Yeah, listen, I again, we're, we're, if we were sticking at 11 and, you know, if everything stayed the same and, you know, again, I, I can't lie. Devonta Smith at 11 would have been a dream come true. Right? Even yeah. We were talking about it during the, you know, the college football, the national championship game, that my goodness, if this guy falls to number 11, what a, what a dream come true. That was right. snack. I can't lie. It hurts. It still hurts. And it will hurt when you see him in that Eagles uniform whenever we play him during the season. But, again, I think that what makes me more comfortable, and, I, and I've come to this conclusion and what I've told a lot of my friends, is that I feel more comfortable as a Giants fan because I know that Joe Judge has had some say and a, probably a decent – amount of say in terms of what the Giants assessed and based on what we saw in season one as a head coach he's already established himself as a really good head coach who has control of the locker room has the players on his sides and they want to give every ounce of energy every ounce of you know heart and soul on every single play and we saw that and so maybe these weren't the guys that we saw necessarily being a need for the Giants or what we wanted for the Giants Although I know we, uh, you love the Z's. I, I like the Z's too, but it looked into a little more. A little more question. Don't not like the pick, but a little more question just based on injury. But again, knowing that he was in favor of a lot of these guys, it makes me more comfortable as a fan to sit back and say, you know what? That guy was a question from day one being taken as the head coach based on lack of experience, even though he's a special teams coach. Never had any like true coordinator experience on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And look how great of a job he did well last year. So now give him some say in terms of what players he has on his team. I'm okay with it. That's where I'm at. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, folks, again, thank you all so much for commenting here tonight. Uh, Steve, you're a great Dom, Marty, John. Really appreciate all you guys. And, of course, our guest, Tone Gordon, he was outstanding. It was nice to get a Detroit Lions guy in here, kind of pick his brain a little bit, considering the Giants had a lot of – Connections with the Lions in this offseason. Talked about the draft next week. We're going to talk about the Jets. We're going to talk more about the Cowboys. We're going to talk more about the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, we have guests already confirmed for, for next week. We have three guests coming on uh, tentatively. Three-man weave will be joining us here on Review and Preview for the very first time. Really looking forward. I got to speak with AJ a little bit on the brew party on Thursday night. But I'm really looking forward to that. That's A.J. Edder-Williams, Donald Hill, and Cannon. So really looking forward to that. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me here today. Absolutely, Tom.